Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Larry Zonka, and this is the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choosing. Joining me today is my co-host, Steve Cook. Steve, how are you today? Oh, I am just fantastic. Chilling out here on a, a lovely afternoon. Looks looks nice outside, doesn't it? Uh, it looks like hell out my window, actually. It looks like it's the uh, end of the earth and it's going to rain and po- possibly hellfire, but we'll see. Well, it looks nice here, man. Well, that's good. <laughs> Ruin my vibe with your hellfire and brimstone. Like, well, I'm, I'm just I'm trying to keep it real. It looks like shit out my window, dude. <laughs> it was all nice and sunny yesterday, and of course now it looks like hell, so... Well, anyway, good t- good times though. It is, Steve. And you know, speaking of good times, we're going to continue along with our uh, kind of a retro series of uh, reviews here. And it's kind of funny because the last time we got together to do an extended one of these, we did WrestleMania 14. And WrestleMania 14 is looked at by many as the beginning of the Attitude Era. Most certainly the beginning of the Steve Austin era um, is in terms of success and everything. And now we're going to jump ahead three years to WrestleMania 17. April 1st, 2001. And Steve, this is an event that many people look at as the end of the Steve Austin era. And also kind of the end of the Attitude Era as we know it. Because not only did a lot of things change on this show, but this is just... Shortly after the final WCW Nitro, the sale of WCW to the WWF, and things as we knew it were going to get vastly different moving forward. Yep, uh, change was definitely in the air. We weren't quite sure how things were going to change, but uh, you know, if they still be going off the air just the previous the, the previous Monday, I mean, WWF had become pretty swiftly the only game in town, and they're Heading balls to the wall until this into their biggest event of the year, WrestleMania, of course, at the the Reliance Astrodome, sixty seven thousand nine hundred twenty five. And this is you know, this is back in the days before every WrestleMania was in a dome in a football stadium and whatnot. Now we're used to them, you know, announcing, you know, eighty five thousand people or seventy eight or whatever the number is for entertainment purposes uh, nowadays. But uh this would be the first WrestleMania inside a dome since WrestleMania eight, and uh, the only other ones were three and six. So, you know, the the big domed uh, arena show was not uh, not a yearly thing at this point. So it, was, it it had a special feel to it, Larry. I think you'd agree. It did. It really did. So you have this big show. It's honestly, you know, it does feel like a huge event because it is. It's in the dome. It is almost seventy thousand people. It's Rock and Austin main eventing just at the peak of everything. And it, you know, again, uh, WCW is done. ECW is done. WWF is the only thing left. Yeah, and this is, uh, and I want to say also that I'm pretty sure Japan was uh, down and down swing at this point too, right? Oh yeah. When this yeah. one, they're they're doing the uh, fake MMA stuff and. Nokia's kind of fucking things up at this point. 
Yeah, yeah, this is definitely in the down down portion of uh, New Japan and a lot of Japan period. So it's um. Bob had died the year before, I think, or somewhere close to that, right? I don't know offhand, Steve, but still, yeah. it's a your general point is correct. But WWF um, was the only game, pretty much. That's right. So it's um, we got this big show, and I think besides Rock and Austin, this show also exemplifies Limp Biscuits only positive um <laughs> addition to society with the song my way because it led to one of the greatest video packages of all time hyping rock and awesome you'll definitely get your that song in your head uh watching this show that's right but that's okay because it is an awesome song to an awesome video package would you uh rank it ahead of frank sinatra's my way i mean simply for the fact that it's used in this video package yes or Pat Patterson's uh, version of My Way. <laughs> Old Pat Patterson at the karaoke. What yes. A, the crowd went banana, Steve. But yeah, I mean, it was tough to mess up the build for Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock, even though they kind of tried by inserting Deborah in there as uh, Rock's manager for some reason. I'm still not quite sure how that was supposed to make any type of sense whatsoever, but uh, that was just them kind of trying to screw up the build, and they still can screw it up. Yeah, they that was like the weirdest thing heading into this was Vince trying to introduce Deborah in that role. And like the worst part is is like since when does the owner assign a manager? <laughs> That's a very good question because when you're watching these late eighties uh WF shows like I am, it's not like Jack Tunney is telling Bobby Heenan, Hey, you gotta manage the Red Rooster. Now that is Bobby Heenan's own dumb decision. That's right. So it's a uh, it's really weird, but of course, um, I mean, the setup to Rock and Austin is awesome. You have the big sit-down interview with Austin. I need to beat you, Rock. I need it more than anything. And I just, it, it's such a great piece of business heading into this. Kind of, so, you, you kind of got the sense that something might be up, but you weren't quite sure what. Yeah, I mean, you knew it was going to be a big show and a big event. Important things were going to happen, and... uh there are people that are going to tell you going into this, they knew it was going to happen, and they're generally full of shit, because it's one of those things that they, I don't think people really saw it coming the way it happened anyway, so we'll we'll talk about that when we get to it. Yeah, and we'll talk about it. It's definitely one of those things where you think of might be an idea, and then you, you think, um, is that really a good idea? And we'll get into that. That's right. So, again, WrestleMania 17, it is April 1st, 2001, Reliant Astrodome Stadium, as Steve mentioned, 67,925 in attendance, allegedly, reportedly. We start off with the Intercontinental Championship, Steve, and it is champion Chris Jericho. Whatever happened to that guy? I have no idea. I have not seen that man quite some time. I know. Uh, Facing off with another favorite of ours, Steve, William Regal. The commissioner at this point in time, William Regal, uh, rewarding himself by uh, awarding himself an Intercontinental title match at the big pay-per-view. I mean, as he should, because he's William Regal. Well, I mean, that's a fair point, but you can't you can't deny that there's a little bit of some favoritism going on here. So I, I mean, I think the Athletic Commission might want to look into this one. Well, you would think so, Steve, but... Uh... I mean, should a commissioner be competing for championships? And when a commissioner being a champion be somewhat of a conflict of interest? I don't know. Regal seems like a up and up gentleman. I'm pretty sure he could, you know. 
I'm pretty sure he could uphold things well enough. I'm just glad he managed to get through this match without busting his nose because I remember, I think it's around this time period where every freaking match Regal had, I think he had some kind of deal with his septum or something, but he like had this period where he had a busted nose like every single match, and it's kind of horrifying. But uh, not this time, so that was good. That's right. So um, Chris Jericho retained just over seven minutes, Steve, and I thought they had a damn fine little opener here. They um, worked their roles very well. I love Regal. He's he was a great heel at this time. Jericho was Jericho was really good. He was being pushed well as a babyface. He obviously wasn't on that Austin Rock level really. But Jericho is still a damn fine professional wrestler. I don't know whatever happens to that young man, but I hope he's doing all right. But I thought this was a good way to open the show. Yeah, fun little match. Kind of set, sets the pace a little bit. Uh, they didn't go too crazy, but I mean, Regal did bust out a couple of big moves. That butterfly suplex off top is pretty impressive and did some good stuff back and forth. And sometimes Regal had a tough time kind of... Uh, kind of vibing with some of the for whatever reason like some of the guys that worked at WWE style didn't really work with regal so well but uh, jerica of course the guy who can work uh most styles and he had no problem uh, meshing with regal here yeah uh, again it's one of those things it's a it's a good match that didn't go didn't go too long didn't do too much to hurt things after it or anything like that just a nice way to open the show your babyface champion retains so everybody's generally happy as we start things off and that's kind of something, you know, as as much as we love Balls to the Walls openers, I think sometimes people in this role might want to take in mind that they don't want to do everything that's in their playbook. May just kind of leave a little something for the guys coming after you. But at the same time, get off to a good start and make the fans happy. That's right. Shane McMahon arrived in his WCW-themed limo with a special yeah, little license plate. Making fans happy, Shane O'Mac. That's right. APA were in their office and hanging out because they had a match up next, which was the APA and Taz facing off with the right to censor. Yes. And, uh, the good father, Val Venus, Bull Buchanan. Of course, uh, Stephen Richards in the corner, which Stephen Richards got a big, big, pretty big push this year. If you remember the No Mercy video game, he's like one of the top stars and, you know, like one of the top talent contenders. I'm a little surprised that he didn't have actually have a match on the show. And he's also a future WrestleMania 20 main eventer. That's right. So, <laughs> we'll be talking about that next time, Stevie Richards. <laughs> so um, you, you have this little tag match here, and it's basically the right to censor if you weren't familiar with the gimmick. It was a... Play off of the PTC, the uh, Parental Television Council, that were going after various TV programs, including WWF SmackDown, as uh, tawdry television, Steve. Not good for the very, children. Very tawdry indeed. So, It's um, a, a fun little gimmick, though. Yeah, but this, this was uh, Vince's uh, ambush against them to make fun of them on his own TV. And yes. Anyway, they have a short little match here. The APA and Taz win at just under four minutes. Taz gets his fucking bell rung at one point during this and is, like, useless for half the match. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, blown spots going on here, quite frankly. Yeah. Like, I think, uh, yeah, Taz is kind of out of it. And I think uh, Bradshaw might have been a little bit too hyped up. And I think Goodfather and Buchanan were also a little too hyped up. And, uh... Guys were just doing, guys were not in the right place at the right time, and that's a good thing this didn't last too long. 
Yeah, it was a bit messy, but again, um, we're keeping the theme early on that uh, keeping the crowd happy. The baby faces um, defeated the evil heels that were trying to censor the good times and naked women's. Yes, uh, and you had Jacqueline at ringside to counteract Stephen Richards as well. So that's right, which she did. Speaking of so. lovely women, Miss Jacqueline, she'd also beat your ass. Absolutely. <laughs> so she's more dangerous out there than Stephen Richards. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd put a fiver on Miss Jackie over Steven. I mean, no offense, oh, I love Stevie, but... <laughs> easy, easy, no doubt about that. But, uh, yeah, no, it was, um, it wasn't exactly a good wrestling match, but the result was right, and, again, it might have been better if Taz didn't get his bell rung and, you know, everybody calmed down a smidge, but I think, as you mentioned, everybody's a little hyped up and very happy to be on Mania. Yeah. Especially, Back- especially Bradshaw, he was in Texas, and... Yeah. Getting that WrestleMania payday, buddy. Yep, hitting that clothesline from hell for the big win, too. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Everything got hit in this. Everything got hit one way or another. So, Steve, we moved on to the WWF Hardcore Championship match. Yes. Our, our, our champion, Raven, battling. This is a match, a main event anywhere in the country. <laughs> facing off with The Big Show and Kane. Makes you wonder who the hell Raven pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> Best man walking around. Of course, you might you remember the famous story when Raven came back to WF after many years, and Vince is walking around backstage, and he sees Raven, and he just goes like, "Who the fuck hired Raven? <laughs> Who the fuck signed Johnny Polo back?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I guess Vince still didn't like Raven because he's in this match with Kane and Big Show. And I gotta tell you something, Larry. The most disappointing part of this ass- of this match to me when I was watching this back in two thousand one. Because, as you know, I'm a gigantic Cincinnati Reds fan. And I was sure that this can be the fourth straight year that Pete Rose made an, made an impact on WrestleMania. And I was even hoping that since it's for the hardcore championship, that Pete Rose might get himself a title run out of this. I think everybody was kind of expecting that because it made sense with the stipulation, the hardcore rules and everything. And, like you said, everybody, it would have been the fourth year in a row. And everybody was kind of... Used to Pete Rose is fucking showing up for his once a year gimmick. And I'm not going to lie. I was slightly disappointed as well. now that you mentioned it, because it's yeah. like, it probably would have been fun. Um, you know, you could have done it, Maybe not even Pete winning, but you probably could have done a lot of fun stuff. Like him costing Kane the title at one point. Just, you could have done some good shit where he maybe gets a slight bit of revenge on Kane before Kane just kills him again. Yeah, but other uh, than that, other than that, there was a it was a fun uh, hardcore championship style match. They uh, they used a lot of stuff. Uh, nice little spot where Raven gets thrown through a glass window. There's some good stuff there, and uh, I like the spot where Big Show tried to lock Raven back into a. There's like a back in the security cage area or something. Yeah, he tried to lock the thing with Raven the referee so that Kane couldn't get in. But I think the door lasted all two seconds after Kane touched it. Then. Didn't really work out that <laughs> didn't work out that well for him, but uh, no. And then you had Raven driving the golf cart too, and Kane driving golf carts. Anytime you have people driving golf carts is always fun. So crashing golf carts, you know, you, uh, it was a fun little a fun little match. It was. I thought it was good. I thought they made uh, use of the stipulation well because they were, you know, a lot of backstage brawling and all that shit. The golf carts. I think most importantly, like I said, it was fun. And there's nothing wrong with just having a really, really fun match on a card. So, yeah. 
No problem with that. I enjoyed that. Um, they they went just under ten minutes, and it, again, it's a good little mix of uh, things on the card. Yeah, we and a, good. It gave him something to do, pretty much. I mean, you know, Kane is the kind of guy at this point who deserves to have some kind of match, and certainly the Hardcore Championship was a featured part of programming at this point. And if I recall, Big Show had just come back uh, to WDF not too long prior to this, and he was trying to get himself back on the right track. He'd uh, He'd gotten a little heavy, and he went down to OVW and did some training down there for a while. So he was looking for a big showing here, and I think he did all right. Yeah, Big Show, amazingly enough, sent to OVW to trim up and lose weight and came back bigger. Uh, yeah, former DiceW champion. <laughs> I always got a kick of how the former DiceW champion was sent down to uh, OVW. Yeah. And by the way, Kane did win the match, if we didn't mention there. So new hardcore champion. New champion, yeah. So uh, backstage, Kurt Angle was obsessively watching himself tapping out to Chris Benoit. Edge and Christian came in to meet with him. They tried to lighten up the mood, but Kurt Angle was having none of this. And he was just obsessed with the fact that he tapped out, but said it didn't count because there was no referee and it wasn't an official match. Well, but he was still very upset about this. Still very upset about it. And uh, they didn't show whether Chris Benoit was showing himself, uh, watching himself tap out Kurt Angle's ankle lock because that was this part of the build to that match was, was both men had tapped out to the other man's submission hold. That's right. Wrestling. Here, here's a blast from the past. Uh, people, you know, this is not the current UK championship, but the WWF European Championship is on the line here. Yes. Two lovely European gentlemen um, <laughs> test defending against Eddie Guerrero. Uh, I'll have you know, Eddie Guerrero was the original Spanish god. Well, I mean, this is true. So <laughs> I think I, Sammy Guevara would admit that, and Chris, Chris Jarek would certainly admit that as well. That's right. Again, I think that's why Jericho has Sammy Guevara around. I think he sees young Eddie Guerrero in him. He probably does. I, I really do. Right on that. Yeah. You can tell because he loves teaming with him and working with him and stuff. And Jericho loved working with Eddie back in WCW, even though they didn't get to do it a ton. Yeah, yeah well, so. yeah, they call that is the greatest tag team that never was, pretty much. That's right. So you have the um, the European Championship on the line again. Test is your champion. I thought they had a solid match. It was fine. There was a really odd spot where Tess gets like trapped in the ropes. Yeah. And the ref can't get him out. Yeah, it was and awkward, yeah. Eddie, Eddie kind of tries to help because <laughs> you know, Tess is trying to make sure his knee doesn't get ripped out of its socket. Um, it, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, a, it's not going to be on any best of Eddie Guerrero DVDs. Um, it it's be on the just, best of test. Yeah. I mean, it might be, yeah, pretty much, <laughs> but, um, you know, Perry Saturn gets involved at one point cause he's at ringside. We got to see the moss covered three handled family credonzel, Steve. Yes. Which, and we also saw Perry Saturn's hat. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, Dean Malenko tried to get involved as well. And, uh, he he got laid out, but Eddie ends up uh, winning the championship a little over eight minutes. It's um, it's a fine little match. It's an undercard mania match, but again, nothing that is going to make it on Eddie's best of stuff. I didn't hate it, but I didn't exactly love it either. Yeah, it was just kind of there, and uh, I will say that I thought Test was a little bit better than I'd remembered him from back in the day. Yeah. 
I mean, a little bit. I'm not saying he was like you know great, top notch, you know future superstar or whatnot, but uh, he was a serviceable, serviceable big guy. He could do some stuff here and there. He was, and um, the th- my thing is, is like I honestly think that you know this match is like goes like eight and a half minutes. I, I think if you keep it the same time frame, frame, I think if you don't have that weird spot in the ropes that eats up like a minute of the match where everybody's trying to save Tess's leg. And you don't overbook the finish. I think the match is better because yeah. Test was perfectly serviceable. Eddie was great. So I think if you just if you could have cleaned it up on those two fronts, I think the match is better. But I mean, it's um far from a bad match. And of course, you know that Eddie Guerrero always has to cheat to win. That's right. Because otherwise, what the hell's the point? So. Mick Foley was interviewed backstage. He was going to he's going to be the special referee for tonight's McMahon versus McMahon street fight. Yeah. And I think it was later on when we found out in one of Foley's books that uh is a Foley was originally pitched to match events on this card and Mick turned it down to be the referee, which probably wasn't the best decision in, on his behalf, but uh, you know, it's a decision he made. Hey, I'm sure he got a lovely payday, though, so... He did get one of his WrestleMania paydays. It's all that matters. Yep. Next up, Steve, we have a singles wrestling clash. Uh, as we talked about earlier in this show, Chris Benoit facing off with Eddie Guerrero, and this was a match... Kurt Angle. To, I'm sorry, yeah, Kurt Angle. Oh, Christ. Eddie didn't work two matches in a row. That have been... That would have been a tough time for Eddie. I know. I'm staring at the re- result of the other matches. So, uh, Crispin Walt and Kurt Angle, as as you mentioned, this uh, had been built up over the last few weeks, heading into Mania, to to where they had both made each other tap out. It's basically just a simple battle of who is better, and that is okay because it's much better than you know some of the shit we see today, and whatever. But uh, from any promotion, sometimes you just see like some of the stupidest builds. But sometimes yeah. these two guys going in there to see who is better is perfectly acceptable on a big show. And it's uh, it's 2001. It's Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit. Um, these fellows were really good professional wrestlers, Steve. Yeah, and they both had the reputation, especially amongst us uh, smart fans at the time, being two of the best wrestlers in the world. So we had a lot of a lot of us were pretty hyped up going into this match and. I remember when I watched it, I thought it lived up to the hype. And uh, watching it back today, I think it still lives up to the hype. And it's a, it's a simple match too. It's not it's not too, not too crazy. You don't see a bunch of it's, you don't see a ton of near falls. You don't see you know guys hitting 55 finishers and whatnot. It just it starts off with a basic mat wrestling match, and it tire, the tide turns on Angle punching Benoit. It just they're doing like simple stuff. They both try to use each other's uh, submission finisher, but Again, it's just they they don't overdo things. I I think it it all kind of makes sense, and we get the referee knocked down, and we get a, eventually Angle just kind of a simple roll up on Benoit, and just you know using the tights. It's just it's simple stuff, and in this in this instance, I think it it worked very well. Yeah, I think it kind of um it really succeeded and excelled in its simplicity because. As I said, going into this, it's a very basic feud of two guys wanting to prove who is better than the other. And we saw that Angle was kind of obsessed heading into this thing. 
And then you get the whole match here. And as you said, it kind of escalates throughout. And then at the end, he, um, he fucking low blows him and rolls him up with the tights and Kurt Angle wins 14 minutes. It's a great professional wrestling match. And it's just the fact that he was so obsessed and the fact that he had tapped it. He was basically going to do everything he could not to tap again. Yeah. And he had to he had to use the tights. He had to hit the low blow. He had to cheat. I mean, he might have proved that he was the best wrestler in the world, but you know he, he had to cheat to do it. So yeah, really enjoyed the booking here. Thought it was a great match. Uh, and s- just a quick question, Steve, because I know people always talk about this. Going back and rewatching this, did you have any problem going back and watching a Chris Benoit match? Actually, I did not. Uh, not in this instance. Uh, so I remember if. A few years back, I had more issues with it, and it may have just kind of it kind of goes from match to match. Honestly, like I know we have not to spoil anything. I know we have something coming up that we're going to watch, which I don't know how I'm going to react to it because I haven't seen it in a long time. But uh, no, this this didn't bother me at all, really. Yeah, I am. My general thought process on the Benoit stuff is like. I don't sit there and go, you know what I'm going to do today, golly gee, I'm going to go seek out some Chris Benoit matches. But, like, if I'm doing it for work and I'm doing it for something like this, I I don't mind in the context of a show. But it's not like I'm going to sit there, like, and, like, to a point, it's, it's it's for different reasons, though. Like, I don't really seek out watching a lot of Eddie matches. Because I I sit, I watch an Eddie match and I just, I get fucking depressed. Yeah, you know what I, I mean, can, and it's yeah, like yeah. the Benoit thing. I don't seek out for different, very different reasons. Obviously, and I think the tone of this match kind of helped it for me too, because it wasn't like one of those matches where he hit like 15 headbutts and 35 German suplexes, and you know, one of those crazy, one of those crazy suplexy things he would do from time to time. It's just kind of a kind of a basic, basic old wrestling match. Yeah, and I think that that does help. So. He's not diving outside and getting hit by chairs and all that stuff. It's not, you know, like I said, nothing crazy here. No. Uh, backstage, Kamala had trashed William Regal's office. Well, there, there's crazy right there, old Kamala. Yeah. That's right. That was hype for the gimmick battle royal coming up later in the <laughs> evening. Yes. Kill Kimchi had lost control, as he, as he typically did. <sighs> Fucking Kimchi, dude. Dude right. can't even do his job. Yeah, well, he sure can't. So next up was the WWF Women's Championship match. Uh, the champion was Ivory heading in, representing the right to censor. And um, she was facing off with China. And the gimmick going into this was, uh, with the help of right to censor, Ivory had quote-unquote broke China's neck. This yep. led to uh, China being out of action, being coaxed into the women's division, basically. She came back too soon. And this is uh, basically China's big comeback. After all the angle stuff, and they do a very short match where China essentially destroys her in under three minutes. She wins the championship. And for the storyline, it was perfectly acceptable and basically what it needed to be. Yeah, it was there. Not not too much else to say about it, honestly. I mean, you had China hitting the power bomb and then picking her up out of that and then doing the old uh, Ultimate Warrior Gorilla Press there. That old, that, old, that old gimmick. I'm not quite sure why they opted to do it in that fashion. Maybe as a shout out to Warrior. I don't know. But uh, it was a thing. It was a rough night for the right to censor. That's for sure. Uh, Ivory losing the women's championship and 
coming up short in the six-man tag. It wasn't not looking good for Steven Richards' group. It really wasn't. But I, I thought again, it's a you know not every WrestleMania match has to be a classic or an overly long match, which I think is forgotten a lot these days. Uh huh. And um, this was the right call because China gets her revenge over the douchey heel. She does so in quick fashion, and then you know there you go. Yeah, it didn't need be anything else, really. Nope. And that leads us to the big street fight. Mick Foley is our special referee. WWF owner Vince McMahon facing off with WCW owner Shane McMahon. Steve, Shane McMahon wins at 14-12. Your thoughts on this match? Yes, he did. Shane McMahon, you know, Shane has become a staple of WrestleManias here in recent years. But uh, this was... uh, his second, I would say his second WrestleMania match, because he had that one, was it 15 he wrestled X-Pac? Yes. Yes, yeah, so his second uh, WrestleMania match, and I believe I believe he won that match as well, so he was 2-0 at WrestleMania at this point. So, starting a little streak of his own, man. Starting up a little WrestleMania streak there, but uh, this was uh, some, you know, when you have a Vince McMahon match, uh, it was typically, uh, you know, crazy stuff, people getting hit with stuff, people coming down the ringside, People just doing, you know, overbooking stuff because you have to kind of cover for the limitations of Vince and, uh, you know, and Shane being what he is. So he had all, all kinds of stuff going on. He had Stephanie down there. He had Trish come down with Linda McMahon in the wheelchair because Linda had been sedated at this point. Because I forget why she's sedated. She had like a nervous breakdown or something. Or, yeah, you remember that? Vince was aspect? keeping her sedated so basically he could fuck Trish and yeah, keep he control was, of the company. So. Yeah, and this is also the whole period of time where uh, Vince, and, uh, Vince and Trish and Stephanie had a bit of a falling out, and Trish was barking like a dog, and yeah, less said about that, the better, let's be honest, but uh, this is... Steve, you there? Alright, please uh, bear with me for a moment while I try to get Steve back. Okay, I'm back, I got booted there for a second. Alright, no problem, yeah, it's uh... Where anyway, was I at in my little diatribe? Uh, we were talking about just um, the the Shane Vince match and how um, everybody was getting involved down the stretch and how uh, okay. Vince was uh, in control. And then you were talking about how uh, Vince and uh, Stephanie and Trish had their little falling out. Okay, so I was talking about Vince and Stephanie and Trish. Okay, I'll 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 jump into that. So let me know. So. But yeah, it's a it's a good match. It's it is overbooked, but the, first of all, it's a street fight. Um, yep. Second of all, it's smartly overbooked because you do the one thing that Vince doesn't always do. They minimized all the weaknesses, um, and they just they did everything they could. You have Foley in there who does a great job. You have the big angle where Trish wheels out Linda. Linda finally gets to her feet. Because she's alive and no longer sedated, she low blows Vince, yeah. helping her son win, and it's a it's an overall good piece of business. It really is. And here's the thing: I know, I know people like look at this like, oh, Vince and Shane on the fucking card, blah blah blah. It's like, well, you do realize this is coming just days after the whole we bought WCW angle, and Shane is in charge, and he's starting a big feud with his father. So obviously, yes. Yeah, I mean. It's it, and you know Vince never wins these matches. He he always has these big garbage fest matches where he typically typically comes up short. 
because that's the way the story needs to be for the sake of you know there being a WWE and whatnot. And uh, you know this is this is a long time before Shane and Warnout is welcome with me. Let's be honest, because uh, at this point in 2020, if I see Shane McMahon heading out to the ring, I'm heading somewhere else because we don't need to see that stuff now. Back in 2001, though, it was all right. The guy's flying around. He didn't look like he was having a heart attack every time he walked out there. And of course, he had a, he had Trish out there too, which I think we all we always approve of that. And we'll we'll have some more Trish to talk about later too. Trish being around always helps. Oh, it, yeah, especially back at, oh in this time period too. Oh, buddy. <laughs> yes, peak Trish. Yeah, this is a, but this was where she got her big revenge, which you know you might recall that interview where uh, Bob Costas was talking about this poor Trish angle, and you know as Vince pointed out, uh, Trish is going to get the upper hand here in a little bit. And she did. <laughs> yeah. So we move on, Steve, to what many will call the highlight of this card. The WWF Tag Team Championship match, which was a tables, ladders, and chair- chairs match featuring the champions, the Dudley Boys, facing off with Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys. Yeah. This is a- two. This is a year after their triangle ladder match at WrestleMania the year before. And again, yes, coming after the first TLC at SummerSlam. And Steve, just um, this match, again, we talk about matches not overstaying their welcome. And you could probably make an argument that this match probably could have went longer and people wouldn't have complained. But um, at the end of the day, Edge and Christian win an absolutely insane match. It just under 16 minutes, Steve. I think what? for their physical safety, is good for that. They only go 16 minutes. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Otherwise, they probably would kill themselves at some point. But, uh, yeah, this is some crazy-ass stuff they had going on. There's just, you know, just throw everything out the door. Any kind of weapon you can think of. Any kind of crazy dive you can think of. You had Edge spearing Jeff Hardy off the, you know, he speared him off the top rope, off the belt gimmick. You had guys flying through four tables. Just everybody just doing every crazy thing you possibly think of. You had Rhino coming down. You had Lita coming down. You had old Spike Dudley coming down. You know, it's crazy stuff, but hey, it's wrestling. This is one of those instances where, hey, it's crazy stuff. It's WrestleMania. Go all out and do it. And uh, that's exactly what these guys did. And that's why they're so well remembered to this very day is uh, appreciation and respect for matches like this one. And of course, like in every time, every big match that these teams had, Edge and Christian got the win because that's just how it worked. That is right. And um, it, it, it is. It, it's an absolute crazy 16 minutes. I mean, these fucking dudes are just. They're going through tables. There's broken fucking bodies everywhere. Again, like you said, you got Spike Lita and Rhino all involved at various points. And the thing is, with them getting involved, it never took away from the match. I I thought all their little interactions added to it at various points. There's you a had uh, Lita jerking Edge off the ladder. That's right. Yes. <laughs> but it's um no it's um it's some fucking spectacular shit um. I think the best overall TLC match in the company history, for sure. Probably so. Yeah, I I tend to agree with that one. I mean, the later ones kind of, they weren't bad either, but I think this is kind of the apex, especially when it comes to these three teams in particular. Yeah. So um, definitely the, um, 
it's it's pretty much the highlight, uh, unless we're talking about our next match. Cause... Oh, yeah. I mean, you were talking about how a lot of people thought that the TLC2 was the highlight of the card. But to me, when you're talking about the highlights of WrestleMania 17, when you're talking about things that people still remember to this day, you got to be talking about the gimmick battle royal. That's right. We have the gimmick battle royal with Bobby Heenan and Mean Gene Okerlund on commentary. Yes, is uh yeah their their return to the company after their years in WCW. Of course, uh, Gene would go on to uh, have more roles in the company, hosting uh, the Confidential Show and popping up here and there. And unfortunately, Bobby, uh, the only stuff he did after this really was uh, Hall of Fame inductions and things like that. Yeah. Which I guess it wasn't too long after this when he started having his uh, his problems with it, with uh, his throat and whatnot. So this match features such luminaries as the Repo Man. Yes. The Bushwhackers. <laughs> Duke the Dumpster Drose. The Iron Sheik, who some say to this day is still making his way to the ring. Yes. The Earthquake. I... The Goon. Doink the Clown. Kamala. Kim Chi. Jim Cornette. Yeah. Nikolai Volkov. Michael P.S. Hayes. The Gobbledy Gooker. Tugboat. Hillbilly Jim, Brother Love, Sergeant Slaughter, and the one-man gang who I was shocked they didn't make be Akeem for this. I think there is an I think there is an issue with the Akeem attire. Like I forget whether I forget if he was either too big or too small to wear the Akeem attire. Is one or the other? He was. I think he was too small because he had lost the weight. I think so. Yeah, he was too small to wear to wear the proper Akeem attire they still had on hand. So. That was the the angle there. I enjoyed how they had the footage of Gobbledygooker and Mean Gene dancing ready for it. They're they're all over that. You also had the appearance of a Harvey Whippleman alongside Kim Chi and Kamala, the fashion plate, if you will, and a rare wrestling appearance for Jim Cornette. How about that? That's right. And brother love for brother love for that matter. I'm not sure how many matches old Bruce had. So at the end of the day, and this is a legit shoot, no joking. The Iron Sheik wins at three minutes and five seconds, essentially because he was not allowed or he couldn't take a bump over the top rope. No, he couldn't. Not with those knees. That would have been a bad idea. He may have turned to dust if he was dumped over the top rope. Yeah, but then Sergeant Slaughter rolls in and does the kid the Cobra Clutch gets heat back. I guess. What a fucking I don't know why sh- what a shitty loser. I don't know why Sergeant gets heat back. Not not really good representation for USA there. He's a fucking asshole. <laughs> he is, for God's sakes, the disgracing the uh, the the gimmick battle royal, which uh, you know it's a three minute battle royal with a bunch of names you remember. I mean, uh, most of the highlight was the entrances with the guys coming out and Gene and Bobby talking about them. That's and, right. You know, them doing their typical shtick and jokes and whatnot. Michael Hayes getting the Bad Street entrance in uh, Houston was cool, though. I dug yeah. that. Oh, uh, yeah, and when Bobby Heenan comes out, Paul Paul Heyman on commentary is like, you know, besides me, the greatest manager of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry's like, besides me. <laughs> uh, yes, the, the disdain in old JR's voice for Paul yeah. there is good. Yeah, I mean, if we're being factual about it, it, it's like kind of atrocious at times. But for a purely short three-minute nostalgic thing, it's a lot of fun. Fine. It's a, it's good stuff. I I can believe uh, old brother love lasting in there that long. That's right. Kind of surprised <laughs> they haven't done one since, just for fun reasons, you know. 
Well, uh, there's there's always next year. There's always, uh, I mean, we got WrestleMania 40 coming up in a few years. Maybe they're saving for WrestleMania 50. Who knows? Of course, we can't have another Battle Royal on the card because we have to have the Andre and the Women's Battle Royal, even though they're not taking place in this year's. See, that's kind of the problem, too. you got too many damn Battle Royals nowadays. Throw it that's... on the SummerSlam. Do some, yeah, I, I'm I'm with it. I bring the bring you got to bring some of these guys back before it's too late too. Yeah, but uh, there's another thing. Like, could these guys? Could some of these guys have gotten cleared in today's uh, WWE to compete? This is fair. The thing is though, is you could do like a gimmick battle royal now, and you could do do it with some not older guys. Like, this is a perfectly acceptable match, like for Shawn Michaels to do a match. Sure. And, like, guys and, like that, that, like, aren't overly old, but, like, shouldn't be wrestling and stuff, and, you know. If Marty's knee is okay, he'd come out as with, the, like, the Rockers for yeah. that while. So. Why not? But, uh, speaking of somebody who should eventually be in the gimmick battle royal, or two guys, actually, uh, yeah, we move on to The Undertaker versus Triple H. Yes. <laughs> uh, this is kind of the starting point of The Undertaker streak being a big deal. And, well, Triple H needed something to do on the show because he wasn't in the title match, so he winds up uh, facing The Undertaker in a big-time singles match, 18 minutes, 19 seconds. You're not going to believe this, Larry, but The Undertaker got the win. What? I know, right? He got the win at WrestleMania. You know, especially considering it is, I guess now he's not from Death Valley, he's from Houston, Texas, which is the thing now, I suppose. Or I got, I got to play to the gimmick. He's an American badass now, so he's got to be from Houston, Texas. And, uh, you know, it was, it was nice, honestly, to see a good Triple H WrestleMania match. Let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're not the lying. last time I saw one of those. Because a nice little Triple H WrestleMania match that lasts, lasts 18 minutes doesn't wear out its welcome. I will say that this might have had the longest referee bump of all time. I think that referee was dead for like 10 minutes during this match. Is, I think somebody should check on that. I, I dispute this. <laughs> the longest referee bump, especially in a Triple H match, was the Booker T WrestleMania match. Where the ref is down, he hits the pedigree, he takes time to make some tea and scones, he enjoys them, and then he pins Booker. Okay, that's, because, that's a close call. Because your kind of people don't win these matches, Booker. That's a close call, but I'm telling you, these guys went out in the crowd, and the, they went around the entire Astrodome for like, and this referee just lay in the ring the whole time. I was a little worried about him, to be honest. But he I was like, tired. He have a stroke. He needed like, a nap. Apparently, but uh, a little worried about that. But uh, you know, other than that, is a pretty darn good match. Uh, two guys kind of uh, near the apex of their uh, physical conditioning and whatnot, and uh, they they put on a pretty good show. Yeah, I, I love this match. I actually think it's a great match. And like you said, it's actually, it's really nice to go back and see uh, a really good Triple H WrestleMania match. Because um, the last few, man. <laughs> it's, and that's just the thing. We talk about it and people don't believe you until you go back and you watch this and you see that this isn't the forced Triple H epic that goes over 25 minutes, that goes almost 10 minutes too long, that is just bloated, that's... This isn't a match trying to be an epic match. It's just for me, it's a it's a great wrestling match. They work really well together. And I mean I like I, I pretty much like all their WrestleMania stuff they did. I know there's some people that don't that they find reasons to complain about the later ones, and you can maybe say some of them went a little too long. But I also think that um 
they're an important part of the whole... They told, like, a big Undertaker arc throughout the years. Like, the um, the Triple H matches, the Shawn matches, the Flair match. It's, like, a really interesting arc, and I enjoyed all that shit. And, um... But yeah, this is a great match. I, I, I really, really like it a lot. Undertaker wins, as you said. Shock of shocks, the streak is intact. Yeah, believe it or not. Uh, that that Triple H guy, who knows what's going to happen to him from here on out. I don't know. He's, he he might be on borrowed time here in WWF. He keeps losing these big matches. That's right. Kid could be in trouble. Could be. Could Hopefully be. he Speaking knows of, somebody in the company that can keep him around. Speaking of people that might not be in the company for much longer. Oh, yeah, kind of both guys. The Rock and Steve Austin, our WWF Championship No Disqualification Main Event match. That No Disqualification came as a surprise to JR, I'll tell you that. That's right. And Although, honestly, when I, I'll tell you, though, when I was sitting there as a kid, I I thought, like, all these WWF Championship matches were No Disqualification, because they never disqualified anybody for anything. That's a <laughs> when does somebody get disqualified in a WWF Main Event in that time period? Never. People got shot. They didn't care. and kept going. This is a fair point. So you have The Rock coming in as the champion, facing off with Steve Austin. You get the great My Way video package before this match. It sets the stage beautifully, Steve. Yes. And My way. Yes, it's, it's just great stuff. So this match goes about 28 minutes. The Rock is doing everything he can to defend his championship. Steve Austin doing everything he can to win the championship. They have a tremendous wrestling match, Steve. It has great yeah. drama in it. It has a great crowd. And then, Steve, what happens towards the end of this match? Who of all people gets involved in this wrestling match? Well, you're not going to believe it, but uh, towards the end of the match, uh, Mr. McMahon kind of wanders down to the ring, and uh, we're all kind of confused here because... Son of a bitch, Steve. He's going to screw Steve Austin, isn't he? Well, the thing is, uh, Austin and Rock, neither man is on Vince's Christmas card list at this point. Uh, he had had ups and he had had uh, issues with both men heading into this. Both men, you know, good guys, baby faces slash favorites of the crowd and whatnot. And uh, nobody's quite sure who Vince was coming out to support. When all of a sudden we find out that Vince McMahon is supporting the Rattlesnake, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and uh, quite frankly, it's one of those moments that you, you thought you'd never see. Throughout these years, when Stone Cold was continually stunning Vince and making his life a living hell, you didn't think that WrestleMania 17, when when Austin had told us about how he needed to win the WWF title more than anything, you knew he might go to some desperate desperate measures, but you didn't think he'd get this desperate inside of it with Vince McMahon of all people. It was a a shocking moment for me as a young a young Stone Cold fan, and uh, eventually after. A, couple stunners and about 85 chair shots austin eventually gets the win over the rock and gets it to championship we see the handshake at the end of the show and jr just kind of losing his mind at ringside about how austin has sold his soul to the devil and whatnot and the fans quite i mean the crowd was definitely up for the whole match um it's kind of part of a trend uh, <laughs> for a couple of wrestlemanias here where Rock would head in as one as Bayface, but uh, they would cheer his opponent. And I'm not I'm not quite sure what the reasoning was behind that. I, I know here it's because we're in Texas, and I think this is I think as like we said, this wasn't when WrestleMania was this you know annual thing where everybody flies in. I think there were a lot of Texans in the crowd here, Larry. Am I right? Oh yeah, that might be a safe assumption, Steve. 
There are a good number of Texans, that's for sure. So they're going to root for their hometown boy. And even so, they were still kind of cheering for him, uh, you know, while Vince was helping him out. Uh, but then, you know, once the handshake happens and things kind of settle in, I think people kind of realize, whoa, what are we getting ourselves into? What's what's happening here? So this is, as I ta- kind of talked about the beginning of the show, this, for many people, this kind of signals the, the end of the Attitude Era, the end of the Austin Era, because Steve, the Steve Austin heel turn didn't exactly do good business. No, and that's a shame because I, creatively, I thought a Stone Cold did a great job as as a bad guy. Well, he he was good, very good at it. He always had been when he played the role in the past. But the problem was it didn't do good business because nobody wanted to see it. Yeah, and the thing is, this wasn't for anybody that's going to get on to oh Vince shouldn't have forced it on him and blah blah blah. No, this was very much something Steve Austin wanted to do. Yeah, he, he thought felt, he was getting stale. Yeah, he thought he was getting stale, thought he didn't have much to do as a babyface, and I get the thought process. Yeah. It makes and, sense. Unfortunately, it just... Nobody really wanted to see heel Steve Austin. Nobody really wanted to see him with Vince. And as you said, it's kind of a shame because he did a lot of really good work as a heel. Yeah. But that's a th- the thing is, sometimes something can be done really well. I mean, you can you can give somebody the best uh, the best steak that's ever been made, but if they're a vegetarian, they're not going to like it. And uh, you know, if, if Austin as a heel was a big old big old steak, uh, most of the WWF fans at the time were vegetarians. They didn't want it. Yeah. So it's um, it's obviously a shame that it did not work out very well because I think it. It's not the worst idea, and I think, like we said, they did some good stuff, but it just did not resonate with that audience at the time, Steve. No, it's a, no, it didn't. But uh, and certainly, hats off to Austin Rock for the match. So they did a damn good job. They they uh, they picked it up right out the gate and never even really slowed down for 28 minutes. You got got give them credit for that. Uh, whether the booking at the end or whatnot uh, kind of hurts things a little bit, you still got to give them props for going out there, putting on a show, and entertaining the people like only they could. Yeah, I think it's one of the best Mania main events overall. I, I, I love that match a lot. It's um, it's high-quality stuff, and like the pacing is excellent for it. Yeah. So, But that is WrestleMania 17, Steve. Steve, if you're giving that show a score out of 10, what are you giving Mania 17? Mm. I th- you got to go high on it because like, like people say, it's one of the top WrestleManias of all time, and I tend to agree with them. I'm not going to say it's perfect, though, because there's a couple, couple weak spots there on the card. Of course, you got the booking prom at the end of the show. But I think overall, I think I'd give it a solid 9. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you. It's it's at least a good nine, if not a smidge higher. It's uh it's it's kind of an all timer for various reasons. And um just for kind of comparison, I'm looking up on the old cage match here, Steve. The cage match cumulative rating with over three hundred and forty five votes right now is as we sit in two thousand twenty is at a nine point six. Yeah. With over 265 going at a 10.0, 
45 going into 9. So you have 300 people out of the 345 going 9-0 or higher. Yeah. Now, where are the low votes? Do we have any zeros? Uh, no zeros, <laughs> no ones, no twos, no threes, no fours. One five, okay. no sixes, and then there's like eight sevens, 28 eights. Okay. I mean, you can, you know, I mean, people have a right, right to their opinion for sure. I mean, like, I, like I said. Sorry about that. You doing all right over there? Yeah, something fell down on my uh, ramp in the room. Oh, okay. So, uh, of course, as soon as it hits the ramp, it has to roll down and make yeah. noise. So. Okay, well, that's that's fine. But uh, yeah, like I said, I wouldn't. I I, I don't think I go the full ten simply because uh, uh, that that booking angle at the end of the show. You know how it is sometimes when you get left with a sour taste in your mouth, and especially when that uh, ends up kind of polluting the pool for months, years afterward. That's right. So. We go on, Steve, because as we did last time, we're going to have to talk about Raw the next night. The, after, the Raw after Mania in Fort Worth. That's right. And um, so we start off, Steve, we have Stephanie McMahon coming to the ring. Yeah. And she has a leather strap in her hand, and she's she is <laughs> upset about the previous night. I'm surprised she didn't have a knife on her so she can cut off some testicles, but that was later on in her career. That was later on in her career. She was not targeting a man, a man at this point, though. That's right. She was targeting Trish Stratus. She was upset about the previous night, and apparently, she had been granted a whipping match with Trish. You can tell it's the early two thousands when you lead off with them advertising the whipping match with the girls. That's right. <laughs> so this uh, leads to Vince coming out, and they share a little hug, and Vince is um, he, he starts talking about how he's um. He's happy even though he lost last night because he gets to hand the uh, WWF championship over to Steve Austin when he arrives. And he said maybe he shouldn't be smiling after Trish uh, slapped him and his wife uh, got out of her wheelchair and kicked him in the balls. And, you know, Mick Foley <laughs> beat him. as he yes, said. Mick Foley beat him up, quote-unquote, without provocation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. No, so, no provocation. But he runs down his bad night. And um, so he's just you know, he's sitting there. The Rock finally arrives. <laughs> and The Rock is having none of this bullshit. He wants him to be, he wants Vince to grant him a WWF title rematch tonight in this very building. Vince uh, does not like this idea. No. Which leads to Vince getting his ass beat. <laughs> yeah, Rock puts him in the sharpshooter, man. That's right. He beats Which, the shit let's out be- of him. Yeah, uh, which, let's be honest, I, I, forget, I neglected to mention it on the previous show there, but uh, as I like the idea of Rock doing the sharpshooter, but it was the ugliest sharpshooter of all time every time he tried to do it. Yeah, the sharpshooter was more painful for us, the viewer, than Vince. <laughs> he never quite figured it out. I don't know. I know, I know he's doing it as a tribute to the Hart brothers, but it just, it, he never quite figured that out. Yeah. So we got the... Um... He beats shit up. Vince puts him in a sharpshooter. He gets a rematch with Steve Austin for the championship later in this show in a steel cage match, Steve, which what could go wrong there? Well, I could go wrong with uh, Rock and Austin in a steel cage. And, uh, you know, you got WrestleMania main event rematch one night later in yeah. a steel cage by, by Cracky. 
Yeah, an uh, odd uh, call for sure under most circumstances. Under most circumstances. Yes. Sometimes you don't really have a choice, though. And I think it's one of those. I think it's one of those instances where I didn't really have a choice because I don't think Rock was around. Was exactly. Rock ra- around after this until mm-hmm. SummerSlam or so when he came back? No, this is pretty much yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, he went off to a movie. I forget which one. It might have been Scorpion King. I think so, sure. yeah. yeah. So we lead off in ring-wise with Test and the Acolytes facing yeah. off with Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, and Perry Saturn. The they, Radicals with the Z. Yes. And uh, they work a four-minute match. It's perfectly okay. And uh, Test and his buddies win. Yep. Old Saturn gets the big boot. And uh, that was that. So uh, William Regal is uh, on the phone backstage talking to his mother about uh, basically how miserable uh, Chris Jericho is. Stephanie comes in, wants Regal to assure her that there's no way Trish can weasel her way out of the match tonight. Regal asks Stephanie if she's sure what she wants and all that stuff, and she's she wants to kill Trish. And I think this is one of the segments where Stephanie should have had that char out for the testicles. That's right. I don't know if, don't know if Regal had them to present at this point, but, you know. Well, later on, Vince <laughs> arrives, and he kind of takes his testicles because he's making sure that uh, Regal, uh, no, that nothing goes wrong in this match tonight. And he's talking about the match with Austin. He wants to make sure nothing goes wrong in the Stephanie and Trish match. And it's, it, it's, it's, it's a McMahon fest. Yes, it is. As I am with Sleuth. That happened a lot during this time period. Yes. <laughs> These shows had a lot of McMahon stuff going on, which, you know, so, is uh, what it is. We had a Michael Cole interviewing Triple H segment. Yeah. And uh, he was talking about his loss to The Undertaker, and he said basically 364 days a year he kicks everybody's ass. He lost one night. That doesn't mean that, every, you know, that it doesn't really mean anything. He gave uh, Taker credit for uh, showing him that he's the big dog. Uh oh! <laughs> Wait a minute. But that he lo- he loved every bit of the match, and uh, you know he, the result will be different the next time they meet. Cole then asks him about Steve Austin aligning himself with Vince and winning the championship, and uh, the fact that uh, Triple H basically said he didn't hear about this, and uh, he wasn't very too thrilled about it, Steve. Well, you know, and you can imagine not because Triple H had spent the last year or so trying to kill Steve Austin very much. Quite literally, uh, he, actually. So. He arranged that hit on Austin back at the Survivor Series 1999. And, uh, you know, after Rikishi took the heat for that, we found out that Triple H was real brains behind it. And they had this, they had a big old, some big old brawls and whatnot. And, uh, no, Austin and Triple H were not the best of friends at this point in time. At least they hadn't been. So Stevie Richards tried to rally his troops after they had a shitty WrestleMania and got their asses beat. Yeah. This led Steve. We had the 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 the, the whipping match, the strapping yes. match <laughs> with uh, Stephanie and Trish. Steve, it went six minutes. What did you think of this? I thought it was a fantastic piece of business. I thought the Trish Trash was uh, always in the right place at the right time. I thought that uh, she took quite the. Whip. He got some shots as well. I- All right. Sorry about the brief little delay right there. Had to take care of something with the kiddos and had to pause recording. Uh, Steve, we were talking about Trish Stratus and Stephanie McMahon Helmsley and their whipping match. Yes. Uh, it breaks down. You get William Regal involved. 
Chris Jericho involved, and uh, you were getting into a an ugly spot with Mr. William Regal and Trish Stratus. Well, they wanted Regal to do the right thing, which of course was to come down and mess things up and get Trish uh, get Trish down. He came out trying to do his Union Jack maneuver, which was his uh, like a cross arm kind of neck breaker deal he was doing at that point. It looked good occasionally. It didn't look good at this point. I think Trish kind of went down a little early. But in any event, it just kind of looked like a bad situation. But in any event, Trish did go down, I guess. So he had Regal and Stephanie working her over, and they're taking it to her. And Chris Jericho comes out because Jericho has an issue with Regal, and he's always got issues with Stephanie. So it's kind of a kind of a natural thing there. You know, why wouldn't Jericho come to come to Trish's aid? against uh, people like Regal and Stephanie. And why wouldn't anybody come to Trish? I would come to Trish's aid if I was there. And, the th- and to think she would repay him years later by turning on him and making out with Christian. Right? Horrible. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You wonder why Le Champion is so bitter these days. I know. Yeah, I mean, then when things like that happen at uh, relatively young ages, uh, you can you can see why he might feel the way he does about certain things. But uh, you know what? Nothing like a good old-fashioned whipping match back in the early 2000s. I think it really hit the spot for most of the audience. Uh, yeah, I mean, Trish got hit in the spot a few times. So Yeah, she did. I think we're all, I think we're all about that, is all, is all I'm saying. So it, um, it certainly was a match. I did not think it was very good. but what It, it served its purpose. <laughs> yeah, it served its purpose as an angle, but as a wrestling match, not exactly very good. Well, we weren't expecting a lot as far as uh, stars and work rate and whatnot. So, I mean, this is this is long before Trish was something approaching a good wrestler, and uh, Stephanie was in the same boat. So, Steve, we got shades of our post WrestleMania 14 Raw coming up next. Yeah. WWF light heavyweight champion Crash Holly <laughs> facing off with Rhino. <laughs> now, I know you're going to be shocked to learn the result, but. Rhino kicked his ass in under a minute. What? So, as you all know, that made Rhino the current reigning defending WWF Light Heavyweight Champion of the World. Well, he has the right height for it. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> and also, we also had uh, poor Molly Holly down there ringside got gored for her issue as well. Yeah. Poor, poor, poor Molly and poor, poor Crash. Just um, not not a good night for Crash. I think the light heavyweight championship was even less important at this point than it was. Back oh, in definitely. 1998, because for God's sakes, I don't even remember Crash being a light heavyweight champion. I don't remember who he won the title from. I don't remember who beat him for it. I don't remember anything about his reign other than this match. So. No, dude, you know. dude, you're not the only one. Trust me, because every review I found of this show. Because I've gone back to like just find odd stuff about the show because I wasn't doing reviews at the time for everything. So pretty much every review for this match goes, hey, did you know Crash Holly was the WWF Light Heavyweight Champion? Neither did I. I mean, we all remember the hardcore titles. We all remember Crash's hardcore champion and run around the fun houses and things like that. But uh, no, this period of time I have no recollection of whatsoever. Yeah, legit shocked when I rewatched this. I was like, "What?" I was like, "Crash isn't the hard." I'm like, "That's not the hardcore title." Wait a minute. I'm like, "The hell is that?" I was like, "There's still a light heavyweight championship." I'm like, "Oh, okay, my fault." I don't think. Yeah, 
I well now I'm, now I'm thinking about. It. I remember it got merged to the Cruiserweight title at uh, probably Survivor Series in 2001, and I think that was the last of it. Yeah. We had an interview, Kevin Kelly talking with Deborah backstage, basically. She was as shocked as everybody when Vince McMahon and Steve Austin united the night before. Well, obviously. I was I was convinced. A stellar actress. Deborah was always a top-notch actress, wasn't she? <laughs> always just, you know, in the right place at the right time and, you know, with the right emotion. Just, you know, just, you know, good stuff. So Vince McMahon came back out to the ring grabbed a microphone and spoke about how he couldn't notice, but uh, to hear that there were very few boos when he mentioned Steve Austin's name earlier. And he was just fucking perplexed by all of this. Yeah. He's like, you know, he's like, you know, he said, uh, you know, you would cheer for his title win and that every, after everything he's done for them and every person in this building has a boss, they suck up to in everyday life. And what Austin did was no different. Vince says that Austin uh, did what he had to do to win the championship, and then he brings out the new champion. Austin uh, basically does his kind of normal stuff there. There's not a lot of booze yet or anything because everybody's still kind of happy to see Steve Austin. And, you know, uh, pretty much it felt like they wanted him to kick Vince's ass. And, um, you know, he asked if um, they wanted him to do that, and uh, he said that's not going to happen tonight. He said uh, he's not going to grant the fans every little wish and uh, t- allow them to sponge off him like they've done before. Says everybody wants an explanation on why he decided to side with Vince McMahon, but he feels uh, he owes the, the fans nothing, no dice. So uh, we're not getting an explanation tonight because uh, the basically uh, you know, the crowd starts chanting for Rocky at this point, and uh, he tells the Rock, you, you don't put uh, Vince McMahon in the sharpshooter. Says he's not going to be a 24-hour champion. He's going to beat The Rock once they drop the steel cage around him. And uh, basically, that that's the end. Him and Vince stand tall. They're buddy-buddy. They're happy. That's right. And damn it, Austin doesn't owe us an explanation. That's right. I believe that started a generation of heels that uh, had freshly turned, and uh, their explanation was, I don't owe you an explanation. Yeah, I don't owe you a goddamn thing. <laughs> so we, uh, we, we then saw Triple H watching the monitor backstage, and uh, he did not seem very happy about this. No, he was and, not. And uh, The uh, Rock was I, watching a monitor, and uh, guess what? He's not happy either. Well... No, he shouldn't. Why would anybody be happy about this, man? They're they're watching the ratings go down, and they're like, what are we doing here? That's why they're unhappy. So we had a hardcore championship match. Yeah. Kane, our reigning and defending champion, facing off with Val Venus with Steven Richards at ringside. <laughs> you also had uh, JR and Paul Heyman going at uh, kind of during the early part of the match. You know, he was, JR was not happy with Paul Heyman, as usual. No, um, it's, um, they proceed to have a match for almost six minutes, and I'm using air quotes when I say match. <laughs> it's kind of really bad. Yeah. It's not even, like, fun in a plunder hardcore way. No. It's just there, and it's it's not really good, and it doesn't get any better the longer it goes on. And, you know, K- Kane retains the title. 
and Bull Buchanan and the Good Father run in. They all beat up Kane until the Undertaker comes out for the save. Yeah. They hit choke slams, and uh, Kane and the Undertaker reunited, and it feels so good. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Yeah, that was that was uh, the definition of a match that was a match and was there. Yeah, definitely one we did not need. No. <laughs> Well, we need to continue the right to censor downfall. I think was the main the main purpose there. Although we could have we could have uh, done it in less than five hours. It would have been nice. Yeah. Triple H uh, meets with William Regal, demands that he tells him where Vince is. Um, Regal is kind of like, nah. I'm yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was for a minute, but then finally, of course, Regal caved after Triple H started threatening him. Well, he didn't want an ass whipping. That's why. No, he doesn't. He already had enough of that for one evening. So that led to Triple H and uh, Vince meeting while Vince was trying to enjoy some coffee. Yeah. Triple H was not happy about being kept in the dark. He ranted about how he spent the past year beating Austin and basically trying to kill him, as you mentioned earlier, only for Vince to make an alliance with his own, his worst enemy. And Vince says uh, he simply felt it wasn't uh, his uh, business. And then uh, Austin came in. Uh, Austin came to him for help, won the championship match, and uh, Triple H lost without his help. That's right. So uh, Triple H was uh, very upset. He ruined catering for everybody else because he's not a good gentleman. No, that's not a very nice thing to do. People rely on that catering food. So I don't know what the that's hell right. Triple H. I don't know where he gets off. What a dick. Seriously. We then had a handicap match up next where. William yeah. Regal and Kurt Angle teamed up to defeat Chris Jericho. I know you love the handicap matches. Oh, yes. And um, <laughs> it was okay because all three of these guys are really good. It yeah. was short. Um, but, you know, Chris Jericho was kind of screwed because he's not Rock Austin and Triple H and The Undertaker, and he wasn't winning the handicap match on his own. No, that wasn't going to happen. So, But it was not a bad match, and... um. They beat the shit out of him after the match. Chris Benoit comes out to make the save, chases Angle away, and um, you know, so there's a follow up from last night, and uh, yeah, this um would kind of slowly begin the uh, start of uh, Benoit's face turn during this time frame. Yeah, and he would, uh, and him and Jericho would form a team, and it got really confusing for people because you had two Chris's, and it was just. We had a tough time Kia telling them It certainly got confusing for one man. Yeah, JR had a really tough time with that. In fact, I think JR still has a tough time with it. He probably does. (laughs) Poor guy. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, that was kind of the start of all that. And, uh, of course, Jericho and Benoit had a feud prior to this. But uh, enough time had passed, and they had uh, similar enemies. So, you know, it's fine. Up next was X-Pac with his good friends Just Incredible and Albert at ringside. You talking about the uh, you dealing with the X Factor, which unfortunately the X Factor theme music was uh, is taken out on the network version. I know, no Uncle Shame. Cracker. But I know. He, he was facing off with his old DX friend, the one Billy Gunn. You know the one thing I noticed about this match is I couldn't believe the fact that X Pac and Billy Gunn were not booked on the WrestleMania show. That they weren't in something on that show, right? Well, after this stellar performance, I think we know why. Well, but uh, but you know how it is in, in this day and age where everybody on the damn roster has to be on WrestleMania. 
in some form or fashion. There was, I was just no Andre the Giant Battle Royal back in the day. No, there was not. So I was surprised to not to, that Billy Gunn and X-Pac were on the roster and they weren't seen. They were on the rest of the card. And, uh, well, you know, this is a great uh, callback to the days of D-Generation X, which I don't think got mentioned once during this match. <laughs> yeah. So Billy Gunn lost this match by shenanigans and then he got his ass beat afterwards. Yeah. He had the one Billy Gunn music, too, at this point. Yeah. If you're keeping track of these things. Which is certainly no ass, man. No, not. I th- It rates pretty low. I mean, you, ra- you got rate below ass, man. You got rate below the Billy and Chuck theme music. And I'm sure there's some other ones I'm forgetting. So. We then went to WWF New York. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. Shane McMahon celebrating his victory last night. Talking about how awesome it was after beating up his own old old man, he's uh, he's proud of what he's done because Vince had it coming and uh, said uh, he was the one to deal out the punishment this time. And a weird uh, twist, uh, the crowd started chanting WCW, and Shane says, <laughs> uh, "Now that WrestleMania is done and his mother is okay, he can turn his attention to other business." Says as far as WCW goes. It's uh, starting to t- uh, shape up and that things are going to get interesting very soon. Shane that says he hopes that the next time Linda kicks Vincent is uh, somewhere where it hurts in Vince's checkbook. Did you ever make the trip to the day of New York? I did not. Yeah, I missed out on that one as well. I think I was, I made my New York trip a couple of years before the uh, day of New York thing went down. Unfortunately, but uh, and uh, Shane never got to open WCW New York either. Unfortunately, not a sad day for sure. Indeed. So they they talk. We uh, get the Rock backstage. He hypes tonight's main event. Says that uh, he knows that uh, Austin is uh, desperate and afraid of him, which is why he aligned with Vince McMahon. He was going to get his revenge tonight and win his championship match or a championship back in the uh, title match in the steel cage. Which led to Steve Austin defending the WWF World Heavyweight Championship against The Rock in a steel cage match, Steve. And, first of all, it's a rare good WWF cage match because, like, the work is actually really good because it's Austin and Rock. Yeah. They know how to work with each other. But, unfortunately, it's not exactly a clean match, Steve, because I don't know if you're going to be surprised by this. (laughs) It's a dirty finish. What? And Steve Austin has a new best friend. Yes, he does. I remember that guy who had been trying to kill Steve Austin for the past year or so. And was upset that Vince didn't bring him into his little alliance, Triple H. Yeah, that's oh, the guy. It, was, it was all swerve. It was all swerve. Was, they, were in the, they were in it all along. Austin, Triple H, McMahon, they're all buddies and friends and pals and whatnot. Triple H comes down and... Austin and Rock and Vince and everybody just beats the hell out of The Rock and we don't see The Rock again for months just due to the ass whipping he got from these three gentlemen inside a steel cage. That's right. I mean, they fucking destroy The Rock. Poor guy. It's it's a great, like, horseman-style beatdown. They just beat the ever-living shit out of him. And I, I remember the um, the big thing at the time was... Did WWF miss the boat on turning Triple H into kind of a big baby face with Rock leaving right then? Because it seemed like a great setup with Austin turning heel and going with McMahon. 
Triple H was kind of humbled in the loss to Undertaker. He even kind of put Undertaker over yeah. in his promo and then was like upset. And then they had the built-in history of Austin and Triple H. And then they ended up uniting them, and this led to the two-man power trip. Yes, which was a good name, if nothing else. Yeah, and it was a fun era, and they had a lot of good stuff, um, which obviously culminates in the big tag match with Benoit and Jericho. Yeah, and of course things kind of got derailed at that point with uh, Triple H's uh, quadricep injury. Yes, but uh, the Austin and Triple H stuff was really entertaining, but... I think you can make the argument that they did kind of miss the uh, thing with the Triple H face turn there. They did. They did. And it seemed like their plan, at least at first, was to go with Undertaker and Kane as the uh, top baby faces. And, well, you know, I mean, we like Undertaker and Kane, but uh, you know, they're just, they're not quite on that. They're not quite on that, uh, you know, Austin slash Rock slash tippy top baby face of all time level. Especially American Badass Undertaker. Yeah. Well, you don't like the American Grandpa on his bike? Uh, it, was, it was a thing that happened. I mean, it gave him some time to refresh, I guess. Because, you, know, the, the, you know, the Undertaker kind of got a little, a little stale there for a minute towards the end of the 90s. And, you know, it was, it was something different to do for a little bit there. But once he got back to being regular Undertaker at the right time, it, it, it things got better. But... Uh, Undertaker and Kane as top A faces were not not exactly the uh, the high points of uh, of WWF. I don't think. Not exactly. I, I think that's safe to say. And so that kind of that wraps up the uh, the Raw after Mania, Steve. And it's um it's an interesting one. I don't find it in some ways. I don't find it as impactful as the post Mania fourteen one because the post Mania fourteen one you get. Waltman's return, you get the DX relaunch, you get the big main event angle, which sets a lot of stuff in motion for Mick Foley. And it's just kind of a total tide turning thing in the Monday Night Wars to where is this one is interesting and it does have impact because obviously you have the Austin heel turn, you have Rock going away for a while. And you have the two-man power trip, which unfortunately doesn't really get to live out very long and get resolved due to Triple H's injury. But it's an interesting show coming out of an all-time mania. Yeah, and they and there wasn't so much uh, things changing on the show as there were kind of things continuing. Like, you still had the Jericho and Regal issue continuing. You had the Angle-Benoit issue continuing. You had... Uh, well, honestly, a lot of the, and then there's a lot of stuff on the show like you know Crash versus Rhino didn't lead to anything. I mean, right the censor continuing losing just left led to them leaving or getting killed or whatever. Billy Gunn and Xbox didn't lead to anything. That nothing I remember. I can't remember. Like I said, but yeah, a lot of the stuff either kind of continues things or just kind of uh, gets forgotten as time passes on. Like you know, I mean, the Radicals and Test and APA. Does anybody remember what happened with those guys? Did they do anything after that? Who knows? I think if you're asking, probably not. <laughs> probably not. So, yeah, that's... So, yeah, it's certainly not the tide-turning Raw like the like the post-Romania Raw from 14. But, uh, you know, but it wasn't all bad. You had the nice cage match at the end of the show, and uh, I think I liked the whipping match better than Larry did, but, you know, that might be for different reasons. <laughs> 
Fair enough. Yeah, it's yeah. it's definitely a, a turning a tide turning thing in its own right overall, though, because as we talked about the the Steve Austin heel turn, many kind of signal that again as the the end of the success of the Attitude Era and the end of the peak of the Austin Era that uh, that run. And again, what's really weird about that Austin Era is is he has that like three year run, but there's also that year in the middle where he's gone. Yeah, yeah. When he's t- he took off to the neck injury, so it's kind of weird that you, as great as you remember it being, as great as it was when it happened, like <laughs> yeah, it really wasn't that long. Yeah, and that's the thing, though. I mean, and don't get us wrong. the The Austin stuff is great. He sold a ton of merch. He sold out tickets. He sold a ton of pay per views. It's just unfortunately due to various his various injuries, it did not last as long as we had all hoped. But I mean, at the same time, you would probably say that Austin made more of an impact in his brief time on top than almost well, anyone. God, how, yeah, almost anyone, especially like you know, I mean, as great as good as John Cena's been, he's you know he had a super long run, and Roman Reigns has been on top of WrestleMania how many years? And you know, can anybody say those guys are as impactful as Austin? Oh fuck no. Oh. No, 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 not in any way, shape, or form. And anybody that says so, I'm sorry, you're a fool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I like John Cena well enough, but his impact on the wrestling business doesn't... It's not any fucking anywhere near Steve Austin. Same for Roman. Sure, they're yeah. lovely gentlemen, super nice guys. We'd probably love to hang out and have a beer with them, but... Sure. Yeah, as far as impacting the business overall, John Cena and his uh, Fruity Pebbles t-shirts and the big dog aren't aren't doing things. You know, they're, they're not delivering big ratings. They, they never delivered super big buy rates. And, you know, ticket sales have been up and down for both of those guys at various points. Cena, definitely more of a needle mover than Roman, but just, yeah. So, yeah, definitely, an, it's an interesting look back in time, Steve. And it's um, it's one of those times that you almost have to, you know, you hate to say the phrase because you don't want to belittle somebody going back to watch it, but you almost have to be there to really fully appreciate everything that was going on because... The close of ECW, the close of WCW, the Steve Austin heel turn, all this stuff happening within weeks of each other. Yeah. Well, yeah, and we go through these times in, in history where a lot of stuff happens in a really condensed period of time. And this was certainly that that era in the wrestling <clears throat> business. And definitely as somebody, yeah, when we were living through it, is it was tough to see where the things were heading. And honestly... um. You know, like like we said, not everything on the show was bad or anything, but you can kind of tell where things were kind of starting to fall off a little bit. Certainly. So um, I think that's going to wrap us up for today, Steve. That's uh, been uh, WrestleMania 17, the Raw the night after. And um, it's been a good time talking to you, buddy. Yeah, it's been great going back in the annals of wrestling history. And Lord knows we'll probably have plenty of time to do even more of it. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the final segment of the show. We are going to hit up another retro review. Joining me once again, we're reviewing a better show this time for sure. It's not WCW Uncensored. Uh, Kevin Pantoja joined me. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. I can't complain, you? man. I'm hanging in there, staying corona-free. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, d- doing pretty well overall. So, like I said, really can't complain. Actually getting a little bit of sleep here and there, so that's a new thing for me. 
That's a rarity. But, uh, Kev, we've talked about some fun stuff in our retro reviews and some not fun stuff, obviously. But, uh, uh, in, uh, in these retro reviews, like between you and me and Steve, we've talked about some first time things, uh, like Arrival. We've talked about some last time things, like WCW Grade. And we're going to talk about another, another final event. We're going back to 2001, January 7th. The final ECW pay per view. ECW Guilty as Charged 2001 taking place in the Hammerstein Ballroom, New York, New York, in front of 2,500 fans. And this um, this was the final ECW pay-per-view, but they really didn't realize it at the time. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, and I have a few things to talk about with ECW in general uh, before we get started. Um, but it is interesting in general, like watching the show and seeing that they are potentially setting things up going forward, but there's not really a going forward. I believe they ran like two live events after this, and then it was a, you know it was over. Um, and I just remember, you know, like just watching the show at the time, not knowing what was going to happen. Well, you know, I was very interested in it, but looking back, it's just it's so kind of unique because we haven't really seen this elsewhere i mean wcw you know they ran greed or whatever but again they were setting things up also but this one just feels extra weird to me for it that really reason is and uh just of note i actually own this on vhs my i uh I, I don't have it anymore i think my mom has it in storage somewhere but i also yeah, had it my recorded. wife bought me an ebay lot for my birthday one year and it came with a bunch of unopened ecw uh, vhs tapes and this was one of them Nice. And I actually did a review of this years back. Um, I did it around the time in 2005 when um, Shane Douglas was running the Hardcore Homecoming and WWE was doing One Night Stand. So it was a kind of a topical review. And the the weird thing going on gotcha. around this time is, as we mentioned, they didn't know... Well, some people didn't know this was basically the last big ECW show. The, the roster all thought yeah. they were still okay because Paul E. was in Los Angeles trying to make a TV deal. Unfortunately for them, he was really in L.A. filming Rollerball. And then he would show up <laughs> on WWF TV replacing Jerry the King Lawler who quit when the cat got fired. Yeah, what a time. And then 2001 everybody was a year. started realizing <laughs> we may be in trouble. But uh, this show went on, and like you said, they did run a couple live <laughs> events um, after this, and then it uh, everybody had to resign to the fact that ECW was over and would later be bought in bankruptcy court by the WWE. And uh, yeah, so mm-hmm. I mean, we have this final show here, and it it kind of starts off with a match. I mean, you have oh, – go ahead. Well, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to, just so you know, people can have some background, uh, since, like, with ECW itself, were you big on ECW when it was around, like, you know, I, live? I was. I got into it because it was, again, it was something different, <clears throat> and I was kind of always throughout yeah. my fandom, I, I've really worked hard to add new things to what I watched, and it was one of those things mm-hmm. I had found on, like, public access in Pittsburgh, like, in, like, 95 or 96, <laughs> and I was just like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, this is wrestling, but this is kind of not wrestling. I was like, I have no clue what the fuck this yeah. was. So, I mean, 
Yeah, I was definitely I, I was big on ECW, like not quite into it as much during the late years as I was WWF and uh, WCW, but I was always following it and. Um, you know, yeah. definitely end of an era along with the end of WCW, which came shortly after this. Yeah, it was so weird. Um, I, you know, my I have an older brother who's about 10 years older than me. Um, so I want to say it was around 1996. And he told me, you know, I, I used to obviously I go to bed. I was a kid and he would stay up later. And he said that he found this random wrestling uh, called ECW on MSG Network in New York. That was like Madison Square Garden had like their own channel. Um, don't know. You know, they ran hockey games and stuff. But, uh, you know, so they would run ECW. I think he found it like at two in the morning or something. So he said he would record it for me. So the first episode that I got to see recorded by my brother and mind you, I was maybe like six years old at the time, six, seven years old, was the episode where Beulah says that she's oh, pregnant geez. by Tommy Dreamer. So way, way too, like the most scandalous thing I had seen at that point. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I didn't fully g- gather all the storylines, but I stayed watching it consistently. I remember the first pay-per-view that came available to like my area was Wrestlepalooza 1998. I was so excited to watch it. And that show ended up, really sucking um but then heat wave 98 came and that show was a lot of fun i was big into ecw i had the merchandise the action figures i went and stood online to uh when their first video game came out hardcore revolution to meet rob van dam and time dreamer like i was way into ecw and the place that i saw ecw live was at the hammerstein ballroom um their first show there was a tag team title tournament uh, Mike Whitbrick and Tajiri came out the winners that night. It was a lot of fun. I was a big ECW fan. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, it's a. I never really got the chance to go to live ECW, which was uh, the thing I always hated. Um, but yeah, it's um. Yeah. It was definitely a time period, and um, you look back and just um, it, it's crazy that the fact in 2020 that you will still get some ECW chance for good things sometimes. And then, of course, like, there's, like, Rhino and Sabu still trolling around in Impact with Tommy Dreamer and Rob Van Dam working in slow motion. (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, sometimes, sometimes it would be great if things ended when they should have. Like, the funny thing is I was watching, I was showing, um, my daughter was asking me about, like, uh, my older one was asking me about various, like, cool entrances that I like in wrestling. I was showing her, like, I love the one Suzuki one from Wrestle Kingdom when uh, the th- he gets his uh, theme song live. That's one of my favorites. And I showed her the uh, the, unsent- the the unedited version of the Sandman's entrance from uh, One Night Stand 2005, which is great. Classic. But you look back at that, and Joey Styles, this is Tommy Dreamer's swan song. And it's sitting there, and I'm sitting there thinking, wow. Because at least that would have been a really fun <laughs> note to go out on. But like 15 years later, Tommy's still out there and it's not good. Yeah. And Bully Ray's still games. fucking around and being shitty. and Like Devon's got his little yeah. producer role, but Bully Ray is like, nope. Yeah, and the Sandman does pop up on occasion. Yeah, that's not surprising. So it's uh, it's funny. But yeah, man. So, um. Anything else on ECW you want to share, Kev? Uh, no, I feel like I was going to... I think I had another story, but I kind of forgot it for right now. Uh, but mainly that's the one I wanted to get into was the fact that uh, 
how I got into ECW, uh, you know, it was always kind of interesting to me that I'm like seven years old watching this like soap opera. <laughs> that is kind of funny, dude. And that's the thing too. Mm-hmm. During that, um, <clears throat> what people forget during the Attitude Era is everybody thinks is like, oh man, the teenage and like college audience was so huge, and yeah, it was into it, and they were buying shit. But, like, the funny thing was during the Attitude Era, like, the fucking, like, under-12 audience was, like, insanely large. During, yeah. like, the most unpure time in professional wrestling. Oh, yeah, I grew up on all... I remember going, uh, you know, I would go to shows, and I just remember them chanting, Shane's a <laughs> pussy, and I, like, looked at my mom, and I was like, can I chant it? And she's like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um so, yeah, uh, at the ECW show that I went to, I obviously heard and saw things that no 10-year-old <laughs> should see or hear. My dad had, like, beer spilled on him, and I thought he was going to freak out because he wasn't, like, the wrestling fan of the family. It was me, my mom, and my brother, but obviously he came with us. Um, and I thought he was going to, like, freak out at this dude, but he just kind of waved it off like, whatever. Um, I was like, oh, man, I'm not going to get to see the end of this show. But, you know, it all worked out for the so, best. So, again, Guilty as Charged 2001, we start off with Joel Gertner doing one of his traditional raunchy promos. It was one of his better rounds. I, I actually have it written out in my review. And it's a, if you guys don't know the Joel Gertner gimmick, Joel Gertner was the manager of the Dudleys. Uh, he was a dude that wore like a fur coat and no shirt most of the time and a neck brace because he would constantly get his ass beat at various <laughs> times. And his whole thing was delivering raunchy promos with r- various sex laden rhymes, uh, like various um, things about like um, he-, he saw a 42 year old mother that he'd like to split into his pair of 21 year old twins and stuff like that. But this yeah. one, I believe, is. Well, 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 it is I, the man, if it's crime for my cock to be large, it must be guilty as charged. The quintessential stud muffin, Joel, another pay-per-view here in New York City, and with her face, he points at somebody in the crowd, on my nuts, even that girl would look pretty, but wait, 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 I really shouldn't have said that, that was kind of shitty. You have to realize I'm trying to be witty. Don't be offended because that would be truly a pity because I was going to fondle those titties and lick that little clitty Gertner. Yeah, he drops to one knee at the end like, yes, everyone just give they get, he got a standing ovation. That's classic Joe Gertner. It's basically like Val Venus's intro gimmick, but yeah, a million exactly. times better. And that was, that was <laughs> Joel Gertner throughout ECW. I mean, that's just a small taste and... Since he was the man that led the most successful tag team in ECW history, he introduced a new team that he thought had the same potential, which were Christian York and Joey Matthews. As 10-year-old or 11-year-old um, Kevin was 100% into the idea of Christian York and Joey Matthews. Uh, they were just like... just cool tag team that would come out and do, you know, high flying spots. And they were like basically the perfect tag team to open a, t- uh, a show. Um, yeah, I really like them now, you know, Joey Matthews is still okay. And Christian York has said some dumb things on the internet, but yeah. yeah. And it's, um, they were a fun tag team and we end up kind of getting a match here. It's Christian York oh, and yeah, Joey Mer- Matthews <laughs> versus Jerry Lynn and Cyrus. Yeah, and it's basically the Baldies. Uh, remember those guys? <laughs> Tony DeVito, random uh, Monday Night Raw jobber in 1993. And Angel, uh, they jumped 
York and Matthews. They were like the hired guns by uh, Lynn. I mean, sorry, by Cyrus. And Jerry Lynn hit a cradle pile driver. Cyrus got the yeah, pen. and it's um Joel Gertner also got taken out on the floor during this, and it's uh yeah, it's uh, um, yeah. technically a match to start off the show if you want to call it that, but it's a uh, more of an angle, <laughs> a kind of a traditional um, ECW opening where many things blend in. Um, we got a promo afterwards where the Baldies um taught they uh. They they got paid off and everything with cigars and you know the kind of you can joke about they were ECW special cigars probably with the amount of drugs done in that locker room. Yeah, pretty Cyrus much. Cyrus put over Jerry Lynn as uh, Minnesota's greatest wrestler, made fun of the losers, um, just kind of just a big thing. And he said, um, fans were chanting for um, Rob Van Dam, and uh, he's talking about how there wouldn't be a whole fucking show without Jerry Lynn. Um, so basically the surprise is going to be that, uh, he will never work in ECW again because he's Jerry Lynn and, uh, no, because he's Jerry. So (laughs) that, that's like the big opening of the show. So the first actual match was hot commodity of Julio De Niro and easy money with Confederate currency, Chris Hamrick and Electra at ringside. Facing off with Danny Daring and Amish Roadkill, which were the ECW Tag Team Champions, Kev. Look, I'm not going to lie, but to name a team with wrestlers, you know, Easy Money, Julio De Niro, Confederate, like, these, this is really, that's fun. You can't It is, and they were like that. three really fun performers, too. Yeah, Easy Money. Um, I can never take him seriously because he was rocking the Billy Gunn attire. He had like the see-through shorts with the thong showing. Um, but no, like he used to. And he, I think when you guys did the uh, Greed review, like in WCW, he went yeah. in as I forget Jason Jet was it? Yeah, and he put on like a pretty, you know, some pretty good matches there. He was a good half flyer. De Niro was solid. Uh, Chris Hamrick. I've always known him for that famous skiff online of the guy taking oh, the bump yes. through the ropes against One Two Three Kid. Um, but yeah, they were fun together. And Dorian and Roadkill, that's a team that on paper should not they work really at should. all. No, yeah, you got this like Playboy kind of dude and Danny Doring, and then this Amish chicken plucker. <laughs> um, but they were a lot of fun too. I, was, I, I used yeah, to so like o- opening match goes about ten minutes, and it was a fine little match. It was nothing special, but it didn't suck either. So I thought it was okay. Yeah, the, it was the thing about, like, looking back when you pay attention more to wrestling, you realize that a guy like Danny Doring, uh, he wasn't really much for telling a story or psychology. He was like, look, I have some really cool offense. I'm going to get my shit in. And he always had, like, weird, the panty dropper elbow and the wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Like, the, um, they, I think at one point they called the Julio De Niro spin kick the jalapeno popper. Like, ECW was trying to <laughs> name every move. Um but yeah, just a lot of fun offense in this, uh, like solid match. You know, nothing special, nothing you ever remember, but definitely not boring. That's right. And post match, the, uh, the the cha- the failed challengers beat up the champions, which led to Nova, who invented wrestling, arriving. Nova was another person who, when I was like ten years old, was the coolest guy in the world to me because he used to do just like really cool offense. Uh, again, he was like the innovator they would call him. Joey Styles used to love putting over. You'll see that move on Monday night, and it's like okay, we get it. Um, 
But yeah, he made his big return here with like a Venom style like getup, like his outfit. So that led to Confederate Courtesy Chris Hamrick facing off with Nova. Nova won in seven minutes or so with tons of shit going on. First of all, they did like all kinds of moves, super kicks, super ranas. You had Electra involved. Chris Chetty came down dressed like a referee. Louie dangerously arrived. Uh, just like, yeah, Spike, Spike Dudley. Dudley. We got acid drops and the kryptonite <laughs> crunch and just all kinds of shit. And I guess technically a match is Spike Dudley counted the three and Nova one. <laughs> yeah, it's easy though. You're like, stuff just doesn't make sense. Um... Like you said, it was a match. It was fine. They had some. They did some nice offense in there, but it did feel like super rushed. It's like you had seven minutes to do fourteen minutes worth of stuff, whether yeah, including like the run-ins people. and everything. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, I mean, I noticed this when I watched Living Dangerously two thousand. Also recently, uh, this show is like two hours long. I know they cut some of the entrances. I don't know why. Um, I know you don't have the music rights, but still, they cut some, not all. But still, this show felt very rushed when they seemed to have enough time to pad it out a little bit. Like, you didn't have to run through these things. Yeah, um, and that that kind of happened with a lot of the ECW shows because of the um, mm-hmm. the, the Heyman formula. You know, you, you, like, when you transition from segment to segment, like, kind of effortlessly. And it does make for a nice flow at times when you Heyman in and out of things. But it also, well, it, it cuts a lot of things out, too. So it does feel a little rushed at times, which is... Well, I know some people didn't like a lot of ECW shows due to that. Yeah, I can definitely see it being a problem. Like I said, it didn't make the show bad to me. It just, things feel rushed. rushed. Like, he could have let things breathe. It's like watching a Vince Russo episode of Raw. It's just nonstop something yeah. happening. So we um, we were joined by the king of old school, Steve Carino and Jack Victory, with, his, with him by his side. Carino was the ECW champion. He talked about how... He walked into ECW and everybody thought he was a joke and a coward. He proved them wrong, went from being Rhino's manager to ending the American dream to becoming the ECW champion all in one year. He has no gold belt, though, because the Sandman had ruined it for him. Live on pay-per-view tonight, he will walk up the ladder and take his title back and finally walk out the true champion uh, with his belt. And uh, he said he was also going to nail Just Incredible's girl. Yeah, I I was a, I really like uh, Carino's rise to the top in ECW. The first time I remember him doing anything was a match against Balls Mahoney where he grabbed a chair and everybody wanted him to use it. He just opened it, sat down, and put on a chin lock. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> um, and then he just progressively got more and more like someone who I really enjoyed watching. I loved when he won the ECW title at November to Remember uh, 2000. And yeah, the whole thing with Francine, like her character was basically a whore for the world title. Whoever had the title, she was like, yep, that's the guy I'm going to bang. Like that's literally yeah, her character at this it, point. Yeah. I, I, love, I love Steve too. Yeah, I like, thought Steve I, was, he was great because oh, yeah. he could work the ECW style, but he also had such that great old school vibe with it. You know, so mm-hmm. it's just, um, Very much so. it's just so good. And, um, yeah, I mean, again, Steve Carino, we talked about Devon earlier. Steve Carino, another dude who has gone on to a producer-coach's role with WWE. Yes, Carino's like a guy who the second ECW ended, it was like, well, that guy's a veteran. Everyone is going to take advice from him. You know, he had his, his few runs through ROH. Um, 
pretty much anywhere that he goes, like he just people soak up that knowledge. Exactly. And I, I'm I, I love Steve Carino and I'm I was so glad when WWE hired him. Number one, yeah. because he has like nice job security. She has like a wife and kids and stuff like that. But like the other thing is he put in so yeah. much time and like you said, he has so much knowledge to give. And there's I know you hear people all the time, and not just like Kevin Owens, but like other people talk about him along with like Norman Smiley about just like they learned so much shit from him. Yeah, it's one of those things where he's just he always seemed like a guy that would be like in a good for that role and he so far seems okay, like so he is. Next up we had uh probably the match that was the best built to on this card. Tommy Dreamer versus CW Anderson in an I quit match. And as we mentioned, uh, <clears throat> Tommy Dreamer still working in 2020 for better or worse. <laughs> CW Anderson CW the just showed up on the NWA squared circle or circle squared. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. but yeah, so th- this was actually built up to really well. And the match goes mm-hmm. just under 15 minutes or so. Tommy Dreamer finally picks up the win Hits the Spicoli driver through the table, and then he picks up the, grabs like that part that kind of wraps the table and wraps it around CW's eyes. Yeah, and um, that leads to CW Anderson quitting. They end up shaking hands after the match. Uh, I thought this was actually a really good match. I thought they played the stipulation well. I thought they played off their feud well, and if not the best, one of the better things on this card. Yeah, for me, it is definitely the best thing on the on the show. I'm a, a, I know I say this about a lot of East W guys, just kind of showing you where I was um, watching this live. But I was a big CW fan. Um, he just came across like a serious wrestler in you know ECW, which was nice. Uh, but yeah, this was super intense throughout. Like almost instantly, they were going right at it. There was no bullshit about this. It was just two guys going out there trying to beat the shit out of each other. Um, they got into big spots, like I said early. They involved Towboy, who CW had beaten up at the last pay-per-view when he beat Dreamer. Um, speaking of, the way he beat Dreamer at that last show was in, was sick when he had the – he spine-busted him through the table, and the table was the other way around. Yeah. So, like, the hard part at the bottom would just, like, hit him in the back. That was great. Um, funny thing about Towboy, uh, when I went to ECW Live, he would get in the ring and, you know, wipe down the ropes. And as he's going through the ropes, the crowd would go, whoa, whoa. And uh, – they also had a dude sweeping things up and oh no, he would come in and sweep things up and got a sweep it up asshole chant. Um so yeah, I knew a towel boy when I saw him take a big superplex, I was like, hey, I know that guy. Um But yeah, the finish was super cool and brutal. Um that's one way to make a guy like say he quits and you're not at all gonna look at that guy like he's less of a tough of a tough guy. Um yeah, best thing on the show. Really like that. Enjoyable. Then we got a very ECW backstage segment with Steve Carino and Francine. Oh, yeah. Lots of sexual innuendo about a large salami sandwich. And then Missy Hyatt appears in a towel with Just Incredible. They made John Tatum jokes, yeah. which if you know anything about Missy Hyatt, you'll get. Steve Carino was very excited <laughs> to see her. Jack Victory pops in. And he's like, hey, do you remember me? And Missy Hyatt looks at him and goes, did I fuck you? And he says, no, you managed me. And then she's like, well, you must have managed yourself. And walks away. And Jack Victory is just, <laughs> poor Jack Victory is a sad, upset panda. Yeah, but the Giants are winning, so he calms down and delivers the <laughs> high spot. 
Um, the weirdest thing about this promo, obviously, it's a kind of promo that would never work in today's uh, world. Um, but Francine, I get it, the innuendo with the giant sandwich, but who eats a sandwich that size? Like, actually, like, cut that. She, she had, like, the Subway, like, six-foot sandwich and was trying to eat it just with her hands. Like, that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, get a knife in there, you know? <laughs> so yeah. we moved on to tag team action next. Super Crazy and Kid Cash versus the FBI of Little Guido and Tony Mamaluke versus Mikey Whiprick and Tajiri with the Sinister Minister. God, I love mm-hmm. Jim Mitchell. I love the Unholy Alliance. Like I said, they won the tag titles when I went live. They dropped them the night after, but I don't think about that much. Uh, but I really, again, like Dorian and Roku, this was a team that I would have never thought Mikey Whitwreck and Yoshihiro Tajiri were going to work as a team, but they did. Also, I love that he was Yoshihiro in ECW. I don't know why, but that was just a cool, I don't know, it just yeah. sounded cool together. So, I mean, this is uh, 13 and a half minutes of moves. Yeah, it is uh, just... What is it? M O B E Z all caps. It's like a very moves, moves match. I mean, <laughs> you're getting fucking buzzsaw kicks, super kicks, double super power bombs. So yeah, just everything. And you got like, um, like the big double tiger suplex on the FBI for the finish. I mean, it's entertaining as all shit, though. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not saying moves are a bad thing. Yeah, it's really fucking entertaining. Um, probably the if. Depending on your taste in wrestling, the second best thing on the show behind the I Quit match, maybe. But I'm just, it's entertaining as all hell. And it's just, all these guys are fun because Kid Cash was a dude who did wild shit. Super Crazy was a ton of fun. The FBI were a great little tag team. And as you said, Mikey and Tajiri were a team that you never thought would work, but they worked so well together. Yeah, they were so much fun. Um,. Honestly, it's uh, like you said, it's not a bad thing that it's full of moves. It's sometimes you need that fun match on the card, and this was so much fun. Like, it's, I don't know how long did you say it went, like 12 minutes probably? 13 and a half, and it's just nonstop action. Um, I will say that uh, just so people can check it out, there's an underrated kind of overlooked match the month before at Massacre on 34th Street, Cash and Tajiri against, sorry. Kick Cash is super crazy against Whitrack and Tajiri, and it's yeah. way better than this. Um, not a lot of people talk about it, but it's one of my favorite ECW tag matches. Yeah, that ever. is a great match. I do love that one as well. But I think um, the thing is, yeah. you know, doing the moves match after the brutal and more methodical I Quit match, I thought was a good call in terms of card layout. Yeah, for sure. I do think that they probably could have changed certain things around on the card, but putting those back-to-back is good because it's two really good matches or, like, really enjoyable matches, but for different reasons, so they feel fresh. Exactly. Um, the, the, the Sandman was backstage. He was drinking beer and smoking. He was being the Sandman. That's pretty much all you need to know. Yeah. He was hyping, he was hyping the title match. Yeah, there's, there's not much variety <laughs> to Sandman. Much like Ross. his matches. So, <laughs> And we love the Sandman. They're great yeah. entrance, so. Um, we were supposed yeah, to have Johnny sure. Swinger and Simon Diamond with Don Marie facing off with Balls Mahoney and Chili Willie. This never really happened yeah. because the Blue Boy and Jasmine St. Clair arrived, which led to Rhino arriving and pretty much slaughtering everybody. That's exactly what it was. Rhino was a monster at ECW. Like, they booked him like Taz, where you were just dominating everybody. 
the coolest moment was Chili Willie standing up to him. Chili Willie was yeah. over, and he was a big dude. Um, so yeah, just I, I liked how uh, his gimmick was everybody's favorite homeboy. He was always introduced yeah. from the town they were in. <laughs> um, but yeah, the crowd just gets so hyped because he stands up to Rhino. Granted, it doesn't go anywhere, and Rhino still takes him out. But it was a cool little moment. Yeah, and I, it, it was because it, it, again, it's one of those fun little things. And again, this is a very ECW show kind of angle to run. Um, Rhino coming out and murdering people, which would play into things later in the night. The world title match, yeah. tables, ladders. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Oh, uh, sorry. Just real quick, we kind of skipped over it, but to end everything, Rhino hit Jasmine Sinclair, not a pro wrestler, <laughs> with a pile driver off the second rope, which is just an insane thing to do to a non wrestler. It's crazy to do to a wrestler. Yeah, yeah. Rhino didn't give a fuck. <laughs> Yeah, and you're right just, about the really way they booked it. him, too, because, like, there are people that just, like, the greatest thing Paul Heyman ever did was booking to someone's strengths and making you believe somebody was a star. Taz wasn't a big dude, yep. but Taz came off like the baddest motherfucker on the planet. He had that Mike Tyson walk-in with the towel, and he would just sit there and murder yep. fools with suplexes. And you bought Taz in the ECW environment. And then you get Rhino, who, who, like you said, very much booked like Taz. Rhino was a jack dude. He was built like a brick shithouse, but he wasn't a tall, big dude. But the thing is, you believed Rhino going through everybody with ease. You never sat there and go, you know what? I don't think that Rhino fell as believable. Yeah, not at all. Then um, I think Heyman talks about it on the Rise and Fall of ECW DVD, where they say, like, or somebody says that he would always do his best to hide people's weaknesses and, you know, hype up their uh, strengths. And he said that's what he did with ECW, too. He wasn't going to go out and give you a show with Pyro and stuff because ECW was going to look low budget doing it. They just focused on what they did. And I always felt that was something I think TNA needed to focus on when they were trying to battle WWE. You know, they needed to put more emphasis on the things that they had that made that separated them, the X division, their tag team division, the women's division, like those those were all really good at certain points, and had you focused on that, it would have made you, oh, this is not WWE, this is something different. And I think ECW did that very with well. TNA back in the day is that they never really realized and accentuated what TNA was. And I, I yeah. talked about that for years because people were like, well, you always get upset when they would bring in certain stars. Listen, there's nothing wrong with. Well, I mean, depending on your view on his physical state and addiction at the time, there's nothing wrong with bringing in Kurt Angle, who honestly had the best run of his entire career in TNA. There there is nothing wrong with bringing in Sting, who locked you in to dozens of international TV deals because he still had a name and had star power. The problem is, is Mm -hmm. when you bring in, like, Shannon Moore and put him over AJ Styles... It's when you bring in Test and put that. him over people. It's when you bring in T- um, fucking Rikishi and he's calling Bobby Roode Rick Roode. And then he's there for two months yeah. and beats a bunch of people and leaves. It's when you bring in Booker T who starts off hot and then starts not giving a fuck. Remember when Hogan oh. got there and they brought in the Nasty Boys and Val Venus and they took away the six-sided ring and it was like... Instead of focusing on what made TNA different and special, you were like, let's just make this a bootleg WWE. And it was like, that's not what anybody wanted. It is to be Christopher Daniels right away. It was fuck. Ah, oh, Christ. 
Yeah, and then turning AJ Styles into Ric Flair. Yeah, like. So yeah, very um. But that's the point about ECW. Like I said, it's like they tried to do everything they could to not be WWE or ECW or WCW. They tried to focus on what they yep. could do well, and th- there was an audience for them. There were fans that were into them and the things that they could do because they were kind of off the radar at points. They were able to do a lot of cool stuff that like people really dug, like. Especially, oh, said, like you know, when Mick oh, Foley comes in and he's shooting on Eric Bischoff, and then he's talking about uh, yeah. he's trying to like I loved when he did like the um, anti-hardcore stuff and he's trying to save Tommy Dreamer and Tommy, it's okay. I called Uncle Eric; he still wants you. Yeah, yeah it's so good. Or the Brian Pillman, oh. uh, you know, angle where he came in and just was like this literal loose cannon. The Brian just Pillman angle you know, you didn't know what he was going to do. Pillman worked WCW into legit releasing him <laughs> to quote-unquote sell the angle. That motherfucker went to ECW, got over, and then got signed by WWF. It's just like... What a run 1996 was for him because it started with the I respect you, Booker Man, and then he, you know, played WCW that way, got to ECW, and then ended up in WWE in a oh major angle. It, it, it's so amazing when you think about it, but <laughs> yeah. Totally but again, it's hurt. like it's, it's shit that you wouldn't see today for sure. Oh, yeah. This was a case. ECW was a case, what I was going to say in this perfect way to segue um, was that ECW was a, it was the perfect promotion yes. for that time period the attitude and that's the reason why the attitude ever worked that's what those people were looking for at the time so we wanted remember that was an era in the late 90s early 2000 when south park was huge and jerry springer was like a show everybody watched because we wanted that raunchy like you know tv that doesn't work as well nowadays or in it the really past few is. years and i think a lot of people also to kind of continue on with like this general ecw talk a lot of the stuff that ecw did you go back a little bit to FMW in terms of the violence factor. They they pulled oh, from yeah, there, sure. and then Paul understood the whole extreme thing, the whole times changing, extreme sports, shit with an X. You know, just to kind of joke it. That was like a big joke at the time. But they they had the violence. Yeah. They had the over-sexualized things. They, and again, I know Eric Bischoff likes to fucking wank off and tell everybody about how he did it. ECW was the ones who introduced the luchadors. So, and then you look at the reasons that WWE and WCW started picking up on things. I mean, let's be real. WWE borrowed a ton of the Attitude Era shit from ECW. WCW totally bit off the luchadors. They brought in guys like Malenko and Eddie and Jericho as well, who all thrive there. And then they stole the NWO angle from Japan. So let's, let, let's not sit there like Eric Bischoff created the fucking planet Earth, okay? <laughs> and neither did Vince for that matter. They yeah, had a <laughs> template that they were able to take some things off of. Now, granted, did they make it more successful and make more money? Yeah. Did Eric Bischoff end up losing fucking $60 million in the last year and have to shut down? Yes. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I, th- I th- just think a lot of people yeah. will kind of forget that. I always like to throw in the FMW thing because I think that largely gets forgotten because Paul did some work with them and he saw that violence factor and then looked at U.S. wrestling and said, "Nobody's doing this." So yep. And, and speaking it's a way of to violence, stand out. the uh, tables, ladders, chairs, and chains match for the ECW Championship, Steve Carino defending against Just Incredible and the Sandman, Kevin. 
Yeah. This was, what was it called? Like a tables, ladders, and canes uh, Tables, match? ladders, chairs, and canes. Gotcha. Yeah, it was kind of what I expect from an ECW main event in that it was a complete mess. <laughs> um, like, they did a couple of cool things, but it just looked like things were sloppy and they were just... Like, there was a point where Justin Credible goes through a table outside, and it, he looks like he's legitimately like, why would you throw me that hard through the table? Um, yeah, it's like the ladder looks flimsy as hell. <laughs> um, it just Everything looks extra painful because it doesn't seem no, safe it, at all. It's like the most unsafe version of a TLC match you'll ever see. Yeah, they did. They pulled the uh, King of the Ring 99 gimmick where, like, they're going up to get the... Um, the title, but it, it gets pulled up by, um, it seemed like it was Cyrus and the network doing it, um, which then the Sandman wins, and I'm like, is that what they wanted from the start? I, I have no I don't know. It's Yeah, it's, it's weird, and the Sandman ends up winning the championship 13 and a half minutes. There are parts of it where it's a good brawl, and like Kevin said, there are fun spots, but it's kind of, like, okay at the end of the day. It left a lot to be desired because, like, I love Steve Carino, but Steve Carino isn't, like, a ladder match, dude. Just incredible, no. certainly tried. <laughs> and then, like, the Sandman is the Sandman. You know, he he will do yeah. some stupid shit, but he's not exactly built for a ladder match. So, like, if you're booking a ladder match, these were not the three gentlemen I would have personally booked in a ladder match. But because they were involved in the whole title scene, it's what we got. Yeah, yeah. And it was just the case of, like you said, there's some decent ideas in there, but it just it never really comes together. Yeah, and it's one of those me. matches where you think people are going to die, like, in a bad way. It, it <laughs> yeah, really is exactly. times. But, like, listen, it's not horrible. It's solid for what it is. It told a decent enough story. Which continues on post match. Um, you think you're to get a big brawl because like Jack Victory and the Baldies all arrive, and then you know you kind of get this whole angle. Rhino comes out. He takes out the Sandman. He wants a championship match, and Sandman is a stupid baby face and says, "Ring the bell." I mean, they did threaten well, his I family, mean, but yeah. I would have been like, can yeah. security uh, get them out? I was going to say, you think he, had, he might have had some friends, but apparently not. Also, I feel like in 2000, every pay-per-view, Rhino beat up his wife. Like, stop bringing her to the show. <laughs> you would me. think he would stop bringing his shows to the family <laughs> after Rhino abdu- or a fucking a Raven abducted his son and, like, made, made him into a cult yeah, child like... years ago. But even on the show I was watching, Living Dangerously 2000, like the show starts and Carino's calling her like a slut who had like every guy in the back and then Rhino ends up like going her through a table. I'm like, the show's been on for six minutes. How is it this is happening wild, already? But so we have an impromptu title versus title match. Rhino, the TV champion, facing off with the Sandman. It goes, I guess, a total of, if you count kind of everything they do, about five minutes. And it's just... Rhino beating the absolute fuck out of the Sandman. Um, Gores, pile driver from the ring apron again through a table, which maybe you shouldn't have done the one on Jasmine St. Clair earlier in the show. Um, he Sandman yeah. ended up surviving. He ended up pile driving him 
less impressively on a broken piece of table to win the championship. And that led to Cyrus proclaiming him the undisputed champion. Yeah. Um, like you said, the power driver on the broken table wasn't really like that impressive. Uh, I mean, the segment worked and for what it had to be. It got the title onto Rhino and stuff. And so. it put Rhino over because they fucking hated him. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he was just... It, they did a great... Basically, Paul Heyman did a fantastic job yes. with Rhino in general. So, so, but like I said, Cyrus proclaims him the undisputed champion. He challenges anyone in the company to challenge Rhino, and they can bring it right fucking now. RVD arrived. Rhino laid down the belt, and you think you're to get the big RVD versus Rhino match? Nope. It's all a big swerve because Jerry Lynn returned and he attacks RVD, which leads to our big main event. Um, a revisit of what many call the greatest in-ring feud in ECW history, although that's kind of sketchy because I think you could put uh, Malenko and Eddie up there as far as pure in-ring. For sure. Theirs was uh, the one with... Um, Lynn and RVD was more high profile because ECW was much bigger by 1999 uh, and that was definitely the first one I saw uh, but looking back Malenko and Guerrero are definitely up there but it's I can't really think of many others yeah as far as like great in ring action there's not a lot of great pure ECW wrestling there's a lot of fantastic clusterfuck brawls and like great stories like you know Raven and Dreamer is a great story and stuff like that, but as far as, yeah. as far as like the pure wrestling stuff, yeah, it's, you're not going to get a obviously a ton of that in ECW. So these these guys are you know they're allegedly here to steal the show on this last ECW pay per view, and it's a very yeah. RVD Jerry Lynn match. They play off of yep. their past matches really well at times in terms of throwback spots, and it goes about yep. twenty minutes. <laughs> And RVD wins at the end of the day. Unfortunately, unfortunately yeah. for me, oh. and I don't know how you fully feel on this one, Kev, it it comes across like a 10th generation VHS dub of their greatest hits. <laughs> I was actually going to say uh, they basically played to the hits. It was as if RVD, like maybe he's the only one who knew that the company was ending. And he's like, look, I'm going to hit my spots, take it easy, get out of here and go get that WWE money. Um, yeah, like there was only one or two cool like new spots. Like, I really like the uh, press slam that he does, RVD. And then he goes right into the boot. So Apollo Crews does it all the time now or whenever he is on TV. Um, but back then I wasn't, I hadn't seen anybody do that yet. So it was really cool to me. Um, I did laugh at, Jerry Lynn catching the chair for the Van Daminator. Like, why are you still doing this? He's wrestled, you wrestled him He's a thousand the times. Face approximately a thousand times as well. So <laughs> he broke your face in, in hardcore heaven. Like, just catch the chair. Like, I get your instinct is to catch it, but catch it and just like I drop. Know. See, I, it, you I know? get that the wrestler's first instinct is to catch a chair, but for me, if somebody throws a chair at me, my first instinct is duck. <laughs> that too anything is better than catching it and holding it there while the guy's doing a spin kick and running so but like the thing is is like it's it's fine 
it's it doesn't hold a candle to their past encounters. There's a lot better RBD Jerry Lynn oh. matches. Honestly, they actually did a better one a few years later in TNA as well. It's just like you said, maybe RBD knew it was over and he just I'm I'm hitting my shit and I'm getting out of here. Yeah, because once the invasion started, he was easily the most over guy in the and invasion. And it's just yeah, it's just I, I was I remember watching this and I was like, well shit, we're getting RBD and Jerry Lynn. Oh awesome, okay. Cause I was like I hadn't seen the show and I'm like and I'm watching it and I'm like, okay, they're they're doing some cool stuff. Playing off of past matches. Alright, this is fine. Jerry Lynn is really great. <laughs> this is fine. RBD won. Jerry Lynn is dead. Okay. We're 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 fine. I mean, yeah, it's pretty much again. Don't don't get me wrong. This is not bad in any way. But like, you try not to. You know, it's like when you watch Flair Steamboat and you're like, well, this match was better and this match was better and blah blah blah. But it's like RVD and Jerry Lynn, while not Flair and Steamboat, they had a reputation of these matches that stole the show and that were, in many ways, in the U.S. wrestling scene, felt ahead of their time. And. Which yeah. is nothing new if you know Jerry Lynn's history because him and Sean Waltman in the early 90s just, I mean, that's like another era of shit that people skip over. They did some really innovative shit early on that just felt so fresh. There's there's something on the network I watch with them. It's uh, from GWF, mm-hmm. like a two out of three falls match from 1991, yeah. I think. And it's really they did good. a lot of great stuff together. So it's like... You get this, and it's like, it, it's fine. I, I, I wished it would have been more. But again, not bad in any way. No, yeah, absolutely. It's not a bad match, but we've seen them do more. So it's like, could, you I guess I guess more. the proper word, Kev, would probably be disappointing. Yeah, that's definitely the way that I would uh, look at it. Like, not at all a bad match, but I wanted so much more from these two because... Their match at Living Dangerously 99 is one of my favorite ECW matches ever. And then the show closes with Francine talking about needing three men and Just Incredible and Steve Carino announcing that they're going to be the new Impact players. Um, so my first, like, you know, we've all done a little bit of fantasy booking in our time. Uh, my first, well, one of the earliest memories I have of trying to fantasy book something was to book ECW had it stayed open. And my main thing I wanted to focus on was the new Impact players because I was a big Steve Carino fan, like I said. And, I mean, for some reason, I really, I like Just Incredible a lot, and I love the Impact players, and I thought this would have been something that I really wanted to see, like, going forward, what they were going to do, who were they going to feud with. Um, so, yeah, I really am disappointed I never got to see this group together. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things. It's another big what if, you know, what would have happened in this uh it's hard to know because, I mean, ECW, again, shortly done after this, their last major show. And, um, you know, I mean, we talk about final shows. Like, you look back at WCW Greed, a lot of late-era WCW pay-per-views, honestly bad. Greed is a show that's, like, yeah. way better than you think it's going to be for a last pay-per-view. And, again, that's a show that they didn't know was going to be their last pay-per-view. But again, that show Correct. is actually a lot better. It's actually like a low-level good show, as, as far as the uh, agreed. Goes. Agreed. So, Kev, overall, ECW Guilty as Charged 2001. What do you give it out of ten? And any uh, kind of final thoughts? Um, I feel like this was a real uh, middle of the pack kind of show. 
Uh, if I had to give it a, out of 10, I'd go probably five and a half or so, maybe a six, um, because it is super easy to watch because, like I said, it's two hours and five minutes, I think. And that's always, like, even if a show is bad, if it's just two hours, it's not as bad. Um, there is There are some good things in there. CW versus Tommy Dreamer is a really good I Quit match. The tag title, uh, not tag title, the tag match, the triple threat tag is just nonstop fun. Um, there's some cool segments in there. Like I think Rhino just murdering everybody like balls, Mahoney and everyone was great. Uh, the final, the segment with RVD and Rhino at the end came out really well. Uh, but there's some other things that are kind of just there. The opening is a mess. The ladder match isn't all, isn't, you know, very good. RVD, Jerry Lynn disappointed. So yeah, it's like a mixed yeah, bag. And the thing me. is too, is like, I remember, like I said, I reviewed this actually in 2005 when, Hardcore Homecoming and uh, One Night Stand was about to take place. And I just remember that, like, I, I said at the time, like, that three-way ladder match didn't hold up well in 05. And it's no. <laughs> even more so now because, I mean, we've seen, I mean, we, we you know, we've seen, like, the just the whole TLC era. We've seen some great stuff from ROH in terms of ladder matches. And I mean, I'm obviously various other companies as well that have run them. So you see this ECW one from 2001 with guys that really shouldn't be working a ladder match. And it's, yeah. And it, yeah. there's some scary shit in there. I think overall, this show is obviously, it's not a great pay-per-view. It's not even a good one, but it's also far from a bad show. I, I, I would, I would sound, yeah. like, I think your 5.5 to six is very fair. I think I would probably, Probably just for the fact that it's the last one, and I did like some things they tried to do. I would probably go towards six on it. And as I look up here on the cage match, um, we're in the right ballpark, it seems, with the consensus, Kev. Uh, cage match okay. goes 5.86. So, again, this is right. not a bad show. There's some interesting stuff. And it's more one of those, if you're into catching the first of a time or the final show of something, I think it's really interesting to go back and check out because they thought that they were going on after this. And unfortunately yeah. for them, they were being, um, you know, they were being worked by Paul. <laughs> yep, Paul was working them like Paul Marks. was collecting his big fat Stanford paycheck doing commentary and leading into the invasion and... So, uh, yep. but yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting show to look back on and, uh, it's, it's just, it's kind of fun and you look back and you see, you know, like the Dudleys aren't on the show, but like, you know, Devon, we know moved on. He's a producer. Bully Ray's still around. Tommy Dreamer's still around. Sandman's kind of still around. Rhino's around. Steve Carino working as an agent now, which I love. You see stuff like that, and it's kind of it's kind of cool to see where some of these people have gone on to. You know, Don Callis is basically running Impact these days, as well as doing announcing. Yeah. So you, you just see where everything goes. Uh, Jerry Lynn working as a coach slash producer in AEW. Um, so stuff like that. You yeah. know, RBD still around. So it, it's kind of cool when you go back and you see where everybody ended up and where which people didn't get picked up or do much of anything. And some of those were for very obvious reasons. And, uh, yeah, but mm -hmm. it's, um, again, very much ECW, very much a product of the time, a company you could not recreate in 2020 if you tried. 
No, absolutely and just, not. <laughs> just for various reasons, not even political correctness, but it's just like, the thing is, is like, if you look at the wrestling landscape now, ECW back in the day was an anti-establishment thing. And right now you have WWE, who is obviously the biggest game in town. The closest thing you're going to get to anti-establishment is AEW. And I don't think you're going to yeah. do it better than AEW because of the stars AEW have that certain fans gravitate to. ECW is just not only a product of the time, it was right guys in the right place with the right guy running it. Because as Kevin mentioned a couple of times, you know, Paul did such a good job of accentuating all the positives of a guy like Rhino who you thought was a star. And there's not a lot of guys yeah. who can do that as far as bookers go. It's just, it's it's a rare gift. I mean, yeah. yes, Vince has been in business for a long time. They have billion-dollar TV deals and stuff. But if we're being honest with ourselves, Kev, unfortunately, I think Vince points out the negatives far more than he points out the positives at times. <laughs> he has done that before, and it's like you could just pay a little more attention to that concept of, you know, focusing on the good and avoiding the bad instead of, Pushing exactly. through with the so, bad. Again, an interesting and fun time to look back on. Kevin, before we go, shout out to Twitter and Patreon for everybody. Of course, that's <clears throat> uh, twitter.com slash the Kepsta is the underscore K-E-V-S-T-A-A-A. Uh, Patreon is the same, patreon.com slash the underscore Kepsta. Uh, on Patreon, I am starting a new uh review series the brand split wars i'll be reviewing raw and smackdown and comparing them against each other starting with the brand split back in 2002 uh just to see who really won you know head to head every single week and uh, i'm gonna have a lot of fun with that so yeah if you can uh, check it out ruthless excuse me ruthless aggression going on there (laughs) yeah ruthless aggression i think that's a good one for you to do dude because that's one that is uh kind of underdone not a lot of people look back on everybody's yeah, done like, the Monday Night Wars in some way. I mean, I did mm-hmm. it a little back in the day. You've done it. And a lot of other people have talked about it. And, you know, there are podcasts about it. So I think that's a really good one to look back on. And um, uh, just kind of an underreported on and under-talked about time for just various reasons. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, after I watched the Ruthless Aggression series on the network, some of it, it just got me thinking. And I haven't gone back and watched a lot of it. I've seen, you know, some pay-per-views from there, but not a lot of the weekly TV. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I do have to watch Katie Vick. Um, but there is, that's around the time the SmackDown 6 was going well. So it's some good with some bad. Yeah, as well, always at least you have that good coming up on. So Yeah, everybody give Kev a follow on Twitter. Throw him a shout at the Patreon if you can. And uh, that is going to wrap us up for this week. This has been the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcast podcasting platform of your choosing. Have a good week, everybody.